Shut up and sit down. Get Radio episode number 48. Um, I'm informed, we had to double check that. Uh, this is a show where we sometimes talk about Ninth Age, but mostly just dick around and make the odd penis joke. And on tonight's show, we're going to be talking about the recent points update and design changes that have hit the Ninth Age scene. And to do that, we are joined by two returning guests, both known scourges of Scandinavia. One is still playing his uh, trade in old Denmark. He's the most handsome man in Team Ireland, no matter what David Bowes says. It's Henry P. Miller. How are Hello. you going? Good. Thanks very much for the the handy compliment. I mean, a... I mean, I'm not a native Irish, so by default I'm better looking, right? Well, that's true. That's true. Everything. <laughs> no joke. Um, and we're also joined by by far the most handsome man in continental Europe. It's Casimir the Swede. Yeah. Hello. Thank you very much. I don't know why all my interest turned into homoerotica, but I like it, and we're going to go with it. I mean, <laughs> critical support, 100%. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I did and see a picture of Cass recently, and you've got your hair down, and it's quite straight, and I was like, my God, I've never noticed how good that man's hair is before. Well, thank you. I you mean, like, it was actually... Sorry? Well, no, not actually, but I did get asked a couple of times to do modeling, but I said no, because I was like a teenager, and I was like, I don't want to get raped. Like, that's <laughs> 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 We've got to get you in, a, in your Team Island leotard, yeah. and, then, and then do like a photo shoot and get you some modelling job. Yeah, 100%. Talk to Kev, he's, he's done a few modelling shoots, right? Yep, he has. <laughs> oh wow, okay. Strategic positioning of test tubes. Have you not seen this, Cass? No, I've not seen his modelling. Oh right, we're going to have to we're gonna have to find these pics. Right, wait a minute, stop the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Does I mean, it wear anything underneath the lab coats? That's well, no, it was, oh. a, it was a saucy NHS fundraiser, I believe. Oh, shit, wow. That, that's his story. That's his Tinder profile. Um, I mean, we've already got the quote of the episode. I didn't want to be a model because I didn't want to get raped. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I'm joined by the Harry to my Ron. It's Paul. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, I'm right, man. Loving life, sitting here. A glass of whiskey. Can't complain. What a boy, what a boy. Just waiting for the baby to arrive. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Destruction yeah, of the not, Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's a couple of months off. It's not for a while yet, right? Maybe? I mean, it's in February, man. It's close now. Yeah, that's fine. We're not going to think about it tonight. We're going <laughs> to chat hobby. going to zone out. Drink whiskey and moan about night stage. Yeah. And not descend into existential crisis. Yeah, okay. there's plenty of time for that. Like we've got all evening, we can do both. <laughs> this is true. This could be like a bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> the salt mine is actually just Paul venting. How <laughs> <laughs> expensive babies are. <laughs> um. So yeah, on tonight's show, we're gonna um probably have a completely unproductive conversation about the recent uh, points update. We'll be chatting about all the big changes, and we'll also be chatting about the changes as they affected the armies we play. Uh, we're not going to do a blow by blow kind of going through it. We're going to try and talk about the kind of big picture and uh, whether or not we think the, the update has been successful in addressing some of the issues that the rules team set out to sort. But before we do that, should we have a quick uh, hobby update? 
see what we've all been up to. Uh, I'll go first. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, I thought you always like to set the bar low. Yeah, <laughs> you always go first. Like, I remember <laughs> Henry, when we played on UB, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get a tray out and that will force me to do hobby. That has not happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I find it's really distracting to hobby while I do UB. Like, I used to do it like all the time, but then I just realised that I wasn't concentrating on games and like losing badly because I was like spending more time paying attention to what I was painting. I mean, I concentrate while I'm playing and I still lose, so... <laughs> yeah. Maybe the additional stimuli will help me. <laughs> I once did two UB games at the same time and painted and I... And Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> All right, Rain Man. Fucking how, many, how many points did you take in during those two games? Uh, not that many. <laughs> <laughs> Single digits? <laughs> No, no. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it was. It, I was. I thought I was going to win both, so I was like, oh, I can. I can easily do two games at the same time, but it didn't work. Don't recommend it. God, okay, that still sounds pretty. That sounds pretty impressive. The fact yeah. that you went twenty while playing two games and painting at the same time, I'd be <laughs> fucked. I don't think I've got that much painting done either. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> you just did everything badly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So when you write multitasking on your CV and you think back to this moment, you're like, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> do you write multitasking on your CV? Yeah, I'm, well, no, but I'm just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just doing CVs at the moment, so I'm just, it's just in my mind. <laughs> so Henry, have you been up to much hobby then? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I I've been building some like Razor Tusk chariots for my Beast Herds army, and I finally got the like the riders for it and so i painted them and stuck them on you can find that on the amatime podcast p-log yep and i also finished two samurai cavalry archers for my dread army and that's it nice so i I really like the uh chariots they're really cool cheers the yeah i really like them as well the like the riders are quite characterful. Like yeah. I kind of I'm doing like a beast third army with no games workshop models is like the intention. Occasionally something sneaks in there, but like these ones are quite cool. One of them's from Spellcrow, which has some like really like nice uh characterful like kind of character D and D style models. And there's some yeah, cool beast some third ones. Pretty cool like little goblins. I'm sure they sent us some for a tournament once in the yes, past. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, and then I also got a couple of guys from a company called Arc World, which do like kind of a little bit like dark, kind of dark forest type style stuff. And they oh, okay. every now and again they have some nice uh, monsters and nice beast heads. And they also do Sylvan Elves, Paul, if you're interested in them. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll check them out. So yeah, they they were just quite cool. So I I wanted to use them and and make them like unique model. So. When I'm building these Razor Tusk chariots, I've got three in my army at the moment, so I was like, well, I'll get three nice unique characters to put on top. Nice. Well, that sounds pretty productive. What about you, Kaz? You've been up for much? Uh, yeah, not really, because I've been moving uh, house uh, now. Uh, so, uh, actually, I was the last thing I did, I was sculpting my uh, Ruinous Dictator, so that's uh, actually quite an interesting thing, because uh, I got this... Um, unique uh, metal sculpt, like, literally back in... Beginning of eighth edition, maybe, or end of seventh edition, when they there wasn't a like vermin demon model by Games Workshop, and I bought this this like big, uh, I think it's like a wolf or something that's jumping off a rock and like really stretched out. I think it's like an I think it's an epic warp wolf or something from um, Privateer Press. 
Oh, okay. And uh, so I was like really excited to do it. And then I bought this model for like 90 euros or something, which back then you can imagine was a lot more yeah. than it is now for uh, model prices. And then I got really intimidated and uh, just kind of put it in a in a box. Like I built it, and then I got to the point where I needed to sculpt, and I was like, "Nah, let's just uh, let's not fuck this up." Uh, so now I finally got it out, and I'm actually doing some sculpting on it. So quite excited to get that on the table. Do you do a lot of like sculpting, cats? No, like I, I not that much. But uh, I mean, I've I've started to do more recently, specifically for my Vermis Worm. Uh, I've try, been trying to like channel my Henry energy and just just doing it. Like I think my problem with sculpting was always that I was like too scared. I was like really too scared to just you know like you you buy all these models for all this money and then you like sculpt something battle with green stuff and you can't get it off. And I think the key is you just don't have to care that much too much about the mall. You just if you just do it, it's more fun and it ends up better than you think. You know, like that when if you like, uh, you know, think about it too much, and that's when the problems start to happen. I think. Yeah, I think you gotta give yourself some wiggle room while you're doing it. Like unless you're like amazing and you've got a very like high expectation for what you're gonna be able to do. Like, yeah. When I when I did the little bits on my ogres, like I was the same. Like I just found like I will just do it. And then you just work out how to do it while you're doing it. And then that just, you, you basically get to where you want to go. Whereas if you just sit and try and plan out how you do it, you'll just never get it done. So yeah, exactly. I think that's true. Yeah, definitely. Like I, like, I don't think you need to watch like tutorials on how to sculpt a lot of shit. You just kind of like, oh, what does a muscle look like? Oh, it's kind of like this. You just kind of squish <laughs> it on. And usually, it, usually it ends up quite all right. <laughs> Is this your process as well, Henry? Uh, something like that. <laughs> I mean, he has a little bit more experience to be, I think. Yeah, Henry's fucking doing commissions and shit. Like, fuck. Yeah, actually, I finished a commission last week or two weeks ago. I did a guy called Tobias in Denmark. He's doing like a orc, ogre, goblin, sylvan elf, vampire combination army. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> How many armies can I represent in one actual miniature? Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much what he's doing. And uh, I've been doing like a few halfling stuff for him, and he and he wanted me to. Um, it was like an orc with like a rifle, like a really big rifle. Oh, you sent me a photo of this. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's got a he's got a thread where he like he puts all his paintings and, and yeah, stuff up. It's exactly. pretty good actually. Like if, yeah. it's worth checking out. So I just thought uh, it did. It was just a re-sculpting of uh, something he'd like. I, I don't know if he fucked it up or if he'd like tried to do something and it didn't work. So I was just kind of fixing something for him. And yeah, it's quite it's quite a nice little commission. So if anyone wants to do commissions, let me know. There you go. Henry, you're going to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Very reasonable rates, I have to say. Um, Paul, you been up to much hobby? Uh, no painting, unfortunately. Uh, I have started. Looking at planning my sylvans though, like, um, oh, like generally what I do before I buy anything is I, I sit and work out exactly how I want to do like certain aspects of the army. So like, I've been looking at basing, um, which is why I dropped that message in the thread the other day, which is seeing like what companies people use just to have a look at like different products and stuff. Um, and I've just been looking at like how to make like, hobby trees and stuff like that if i want to put some on the bases and like how to use like the tree armatures and stuff like that if you if you want to know how to do some trees i did an article sometime in the night scroll about how i make trees out of milliput and spruce and there's also i did a video on my hobby channel as well you can check that out 
<laughs> cool. That's actually really helpful. I'm just laughing because that just sounded like such like a, a self promo. <laughs> it, it, it totally was. <laughs> it was unscrupulous. Yeah. <laughs> No, but that's cool. You know, I'll definitely check it out. So I'm basically just like looking around just to see how people do things. And that way, when I actually have the models to start, I've got a plan in mind for how I want to paint and do the, the bases and stuff. Like, I really appreciated doing all the bases for like the ogres before I started painting the ogres because then I just had like them all ready to go. Um, and doing them in batch just is so much easier and more time efficient, I think. So, um, that's basically what my hobby's been, really. Have Have you got like a a start date envisaged for when you're going to start getting your Sylvan F stuff, or is this all just theoretical? No, so I've got I've actually physically got the files now from uh, Last Sword for the okay. for the Treekin Kickstarter that they did. So I'm at a point now where I could get things printed if I want to. So um, I'm just looking around for quotes and things and trying to work out. Do I want to send everything to a company and have them print everything for me? And then just that's more convenient. Or do I want to invest in my own printer and then take that on as like another hobby project and learn how to 3D print? Mm. Um, which I like the idea of. Um, I think ever since we did that episode with Ombre, like, um, I think that would be a good investment in time just because then I'd have it for any other army that I wanted yeah. to do and stuff. So, and I would like to print a lot of the Last Kingdom terrain that they did and actually have like a Sylvan themed table worth of terrain. I think would be really cool. Just a That'd slight, really cool. something just slightly different than just always working on models. Yeah. Um, but I assume that with incoming baby that this is going to be very much like a slow burn project. Like I'm not going to have the time. Like I did with the ogres to sit down and like bash out a bunch of stuff. So, um, I'm more than happy to take my time with it. So, but I've got like miniature rangers in mind. Um, so it's really just trying to work out things like basing and stuff now, and then I can actually get things printed. And I'll maybe just start with like one or two units at a time and just see how it goes. Yeah, cool. I would thoroughly recommend uh, getting terrain to work on at the same time because then you can abuse and like not do either project. <laughs> they can, they can yeah, both so sit in the cupboard. Are you yeah. saying it's the year of terrain, or yeah, year of terrain twenty twenty five? I think it's, I think it's the decade of <laughs> decade of terrain. I think is what Andrew oh, said. Okay, okay. I've set myself the false kind of like end date that the first time someone comes up to Orkney to play, or you know, whatever, the first time one of the guys comes up, I'll have the terrain done. Ah, uh, so it's our fault. We need to we need to apply the pressure. We need to be giving you dates here. And yeah, like well, you've it's got not be my fault. <laughs> You've got six weeks to get that fucking table sorted. Or exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah, I need I need that pressure. It's like yeah. Fuck. I, I mean Martin was very keen. Martin says he is. Yeah, it. Martin says he's coming up, so that might be the impetus I need. He to might be the first of us to get up there. So yeah, and he has that. very high hobby standards. So you know, well, fuck, yeah. don't fuck it up. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get all the string done, and he's gonna. What the fuck is that? I waited forty years for this. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, a Mario slash uh, Martin impression. Speaking of 3D prints, we have got a little bit of a a bonus segment this show because we're going to talk very briefly about a new 3D print manufacturer um, who has been recommended to us by Henry. So, Henry, do you want to tell us a little bit about Weird Farm? 
Yeah, so um, we've got a show sponsor on Amazon Podcast, which is Weird Farm Miniatures. And oh, you're right, you don't have to rub it in. You've got a fucking sponsor. <laughs> right, well, you've just got some, some like, sharing the wealth with you guys, so don't you? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we've got a sponsor for, uh, from Denmark called Weird Farm Miniatures. It's like a small, like, one-man print shop in, in on, the, on an island in Denmark. But they kind of focus on like being really customer friendly and really high quality resin and sculpts. And from the my experience with them, that from the samples that he's sent me, the it's like fantastic quality. And uh, I've also sent over a couple of models over to Paul, who can maybe just talk a little bit about it, so you don't just take my word for it. Yeah, Paul, is he talking? Yeah, to you? no, like is is legit. So um, Martin had a, a bunch of UD stuff done, 3D printed from Guillermo, or as other people may know him as Omama Printing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, and that stuff's really nice, but he had pointed out to me like in a couple, a Are couple you of very, Guillermo's 3D print library? No, I'm just saying like, the realities of like, 3D home printing is that it probably doesn't compare to like a company where you're going to like, pay more money that maybe have like, higher spec machines, like because like, home machines, sure probably don't operate at that level necessarily unless you're spending like way more money um but like they look great so like i always kind of thought uh most 3d printing probably looks the same it's all probably among the same standard and stuff so the stuff that uh henry sent is really really nice like i can't see any of the like the build lines that you can see um and i know this guy uses like a really um I don't know what the terminology is in, in 3D printing uh, tech, but, but like, like the layer lines. Or yeah, whatever. basically, as as it works, it builds the layer of the miniature, and like you you can't see any on these guys. And the other thing I quite like about the plastic is it's not brittle. Okay. Um, which I've heard is kind of a common thing in 3D printing, like, and especially because it's a, still a relatively new technology, and I think a lot of people when they they print at home, like, they might over cure things and things like that. So like, mm-hmm. you you can get like quite brittle parts of the miniature like spears and stuff like that that you'd expect to break um whereas these like any of those kind of like points on the model are like really solid um it's not brittle at all like it's a really nice smooth finish like as far as i'm concerned like that's as good as like gw quality in terms of like like an actual plastic mold like so henry sent a couple of like options one's like a a human KOE or like Empire type guy. Another one um, is more of a kind of dryad character. Um, and that particularly has got a lot of detail on it. And it's all came through really nice and clean. Like painting it would be really easy because you've still got all that definition on the model. Like there's all that kind of texture there that you, yeah. you can clearly see. So yeah, I was really impressed with the standards. So um, it's definitely a company that I'm going to keep an eye on and potentially get some bits and bobs printed from i think yeah and, and i don't know if you've been in contact with him but nils is really nice and he's really helpful and very much like customer oriented so if you have some special requests then you can kind of get in touch if you want things sizing up or down he's he's happy to do that as well so yeah i i did email him and he, he got back to me fairly quickly with a quote and it was it was really nice and there was no like obligation there like to actually like follow through with using him as a supplier like he was like this is basically what i charge and then i got the kind of feeling with him that 
there's a lot of back and forth and you can maybe like work out exactly what you want and he can like tweak things for you and you get quite a lot of um kind of attention that way it's not just a case of send them a list and they print it for you and then that's it like i think they could do various bits and bobs with maybe like resizing and like tweaking the model potentially and stuff like that and especially with some of like the SEO files you get in the kickstarter certainly the one i've got like there's a lot of detail and things in like the the bases that they do as well and i think he was you know he probably offers some input on whether you would keep that or if you'd print something else for you or if you could maybe tweak it if you wanted a slightly different uh product so yeah i i think as a company it's like definitely one to look into yeah and that's a uh, weird farm miniatures and it's weird hyphen or weird dash farm miniatures.dk if you want to check out the web shop and is that weird well why weird with an i weird with an i yeah it's not, it's not that weird I thought it, I I was like that's how you'll spell it and I googled it and I was like nothing's coming up and then yeah it's just it's just standard weird. Weird. Oh. Oh, that's cool. No, I, I, Paul sent me photos of the stuff and it looked very crisp, which is always my concern when you hear about the three D print stuff, right? Because I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter where like the concept looks amazing and then someone prints it and it looks like it's been stuck in a microwave for five minutes. Hmm. <laughs> I did ask Henry when he sent them to me. Like, I was like, did you prep these at all? Because I was quite impressed. Yeah. And, like, there's very little that you would need to do with this. No, I, I just, I just looked at it and sent it, sent it to you. <laughs> that was, like, the extent of it. Yeah, there's, there's literally, like, maybe one or two points, but it's, like, no more than what you'd have on a plastic miniature after you cut it off a sprue. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. And that's good. Just give it a little kiss from Tim Tars. Popped on its way. Um, right, so, we we better get on with the show. Uh, better talk about this update. But before we do that, I don't know about you guys, but I need a palate cleanser, a nice salty palate cleanser, something you can swish about in your mouth and just you know get you ready for a proper debate. So we're going to head down to everyone's favourite salt. Yeah, baby. It's salt time. And this week's salt mine is brought to us by none other than Henry P. Miller himself. So, Henry, you want to take it away? Yeah, so when I knew I was coming on the show, the first thing I said was, like, I want to do the salt mine. Because it's, it's by far the best section of the show, let's be honest. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I have, like, a massive salt mine this week. It's, like... We're digging down like South Africa style gold mine into the crust of the earth. Jeez, oh, and... Fuck South Africa. Oh my god. Oh, it's getting racy. It's <laughs> <laughs> really negative connotations. Why, why was that racist? They have like the biggest gold mines in the world. I said racy. You said racist. No, it's racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my salt mine this week is about war machines. So basically, I think that war machines are really unimmersive and quite idiotic in general so picture this you've got your eagle king paul because this is going to happen to you at some point you've got your eagle king and it's flapping around on the battlefield and then a cannon just goes ping and it hits it and it's dead or you have a dragon that's flying around and for some reason it's easier to hit a dragon i don't know why can you imagine can you imagine being an empire guy 
and getting your big cannon into place, setting it up, pointing in the right direction, and the dragon's there, and then you're going to light the fuse, and it's going to go... <laughs> like that. And by the time by the time you've like put it in the right direction, pushed the cannonball in, lit the fuse, the dragon's going to be somewhere else. How is it? How is it get plus one to hit? All Empire guys are like super engineers. Like they're really good at trajectories. You know, like in World War One, they had to like calculate the trajectories of their missiles to hit beyond the horizon. You know, like at, uh, other ships and stuff. In World War One, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like after five hundred years of like improving mathematics and physics, so my my problem is with war machines is that the the rules don't reflect. I don't want to get down the historical neckbeard route because <laughs> no, no one wants to go there. But like, just have some common sense. Like, how how can a cannon hit a dragon at like uh like half a kilometer away and and get like a bonus to hit it and then like just smack it dead or how can a dragon like pick out an eagle even like a one in six chance of picking out an eagle at long range in a forest it ignores cover for some reason because it because apparently it's easier to hit stuff if they're in a forest (laughs) so this is my salt mine so what i'm saying is war machines don't reflect the realistic idea of what they should be is this a cannon specific salt mine or is this specifically all... specifically cannons okay but also catapults like like what how can like similarly how can you like like get a trebuchet <laughs> to like loop a rock on top of a like a flying dragon and yeah, kill I, it in I, one shot like, i think the the catapult is somehow funnier to me because it's like as you say like it's even harder to adjust like how to you know <laughs> yeah, like where yeah, is somewhat going in a straight straight line yeah. right yeah, exactly. At least you could like tilt the cannon up and down and stuff. Yeah. So I, I have some ideas of how I would like change and rebalance war machines a little bit to make them slightly more realistic. Okay. Well, why don't you talk about that then, and then we'll open it up for comments. Yeah. Okay. So you want to differentiate your war machines for like doing different things. Yeah. So we've all seen Game of Thrones, and we've all seen the the bolt throwers on the boat. Like one shot in the dragon. We've seen yeah. we've seen them like chucking spears at a dragon, like almost almost hitting the dragon. Like it's really quick. You can turn a you can turn a bolt thrower pretty quick because it's on like a pivoty thing, right? Yeah. So the bolt thrower should be the things that do like do more damage to flying things. Let's say so that makes sense that they have clip wings. So if I was redesigning war machines, I'd make bolt throwers like strength seven because if they hit their target. They're probably going to do some serious damage. So make them shrimp seven. That means they wound like dragons on a three plus, and they wound like um, smaller flying things on the two plus, which to me makes quite a lot of sense. Okay. AP four is probably fine as well because if you get hit by a bolt thrower, dragon ain't going to get any arm save. Mhm. And then make them a bit shorter range to kind of differentiate them as well. So maybe thirty six inch range. So that means that if you do have a dragon and you're playing against them, that you can kind of stay out of 18-inch range and be a little bit safer and then give them, as they are now, like D3 plus 1 or D3 with clip wings. So if you do make a hit, it does more wounds, which is realistic. Okay. So that's that's what I would do with bolt throwers. And then, obviously, like, cannons are slightly different because they need their own niche. So I'd make cannons, like, the anti 
armor thing because obviously if you get hit by a cannonball your armor is not really going to help you yeah so i make cannons like ap10 but maybe strength five and obviously they're probably still going to have air attack like one by five just but just make it strength five like all of it and ap10 and maybe multiple wounds too because then you can damage things like chosen or anything with two wounds is quite dangerous for them and being like an anti-armor tool, it still gives them a niche. So if you're going against cavalry or monstrous cavalry, then you can do quite a lot of damage. So that, to me, that makes sense because like a cannonball, if it like hits a dragon, it's probably not going to get like a full hit because it's moving fast. You're not going to like score a direct hit on the dragon's head. (laughs) (laughs) And if, and if you do want to shoot a dragon, it's still strength five. It's still multiple is two. So it, it can do some damage, but you kind of have to be a bit luckier to hit. Probably okay. redu- reduce the range to 48 because 60 is just ridiculous. And, and then you kind of give them a niche. And then with catapults, I'd make it more like anti-infantry, like some, somewhat like it is now, but just take away like the under the whole hit. Yeah. Like why does it have like one hit that's like higher strength than the others? Like if you hit, you hit. So I just make it like area attack and then probably strength three AP one or strength four AP zero. And just make it more differentiated. And then you kind of have like the specialized things like the mortar. So it's a catapult, but it's take, I don't know if, I don't know what mortars do these days, but just make it a bit bigger hit. You have like organ guns. I think they're quite, they're quite okay in like their balance and they make sense that they do like random amount of hits and random amount of shots. Um, and then lastly, like if you really wanted to, let's say if you think empire, for example, okay, you're taking away the cannons. So you need to give them like an anti, monster tool then you just give them like a like a a cannon which is like what we discussed like an anti-armor thing and then you give them like a smaller cannon like a cullivan or something that just counts as like a a bolt thrower or make the rocket battery your bolt thrower equivalent yeah exactly so there's like ways of like going around it but i think the war machines just need a rebalancing and um just to make them a bit more realistic i think the only thing that you then Gonna, the problem that you're going to have there is that there's going to be cowboys that are a little bit more safer. And I think one of the change, which is should be part of this kind of thing, is to say, if you're a character, you can't leave a unit because that's another stupid immersion thing. Like, why would a character just be running around his own? But that's kind of like separate. That's just another rule that I'd add as a caveat to kind of... Oh, that's a huge balance, change. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's bigger than the war machine change. <laughs> Yeah, like that's something I can really get behind, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how, also how I'd balance like the lack of like current cannons in the game is that you need to just say, okay, if you if you're a character in a unit, you join a unit at the start of the game, you can't leave it unless you're like solitary, like some of these other new new uh, manticore and stuff is. I mean, surely you should be able to like move to a different unit, just not be on your own. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's it. War Machines, Casimir. Oh, sorry, sorry. Add that caveat just, in. I just want Nerf Cowboys. I'm sorry. I'm just going to get so much shit now. Okay, right. We'll stick to the War, war Machine before we go on uh, like the Henry's crazy ramblings about <laughs> destroying character films. Cas, what do you think about it? So... Uh, I'm gonna be like real milk toast and say that this is something <laughs> that I like really agree with because yes, like I, I mean we've talked about this before and I I'm like really not a fan of a, of war machines and how they work because I feel like they 
they're so like it's so all or nothing, and it's kind yeah. of um, it's not a fun gameplay experience for you or your opponent for the most part. Is that like you know like it's the kind of thing where you know you hit and you like one shot the thing, and then you the cannon haver has to go. Oh, I'm sorry for killing your thing, you know. Yeah. And then the opponent goes like, "Oh, now I'm angry because my thing died," you know. Like, and it's all just kind of a, it's just like not a really fun gameplay experience to me in in general. So I I kind of try to stay away from taking too much war machines for this reason. Um, yeah. So so I think and I think also like this idea of specializing them is great because then you can have it like in the KOE book where they are actually a lot cheaper. So it's not like you have this thing that costs almost 350 points. Because it's so good, but then sometimes it does nothing, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously I had a hand in the KOE book, and there might be a bit of my influence and opinion in those two designs. As, as you might, If you just re- like listen over to what I just said and then look at the KOE book, you might see that in there. But <laughs> Yeah, because so, the cheaper shade doesn't have a big hit now, does it? No. No, yeah. and it's also like 180 points, which is like criminally cheap. Yeah. Is that the Baron Swarm player in you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like is that maybe it's like an American thing to say. With like you know, it's like vanilla ice cream. It's just like you know, I I'm like you know, I'm a faceless person with no special opinion kind of thing. I like vanilla ice cream. Exactly. At least it. <laughs> okay, Paul, are you milk toast? I I still don't understand. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna move on and talk about war machines. <laughs> the I think it's funny like talking about dragons. Like I think. War Machines and Dragons, I think that just highlights another issue that dragons need to probably be better than they are. Damn straight. This is the this is the voice of the people right here. <laughs> <laughs> like, the idea that a cannonball's gonna potentially, like, take you know, a massive chunk out of a dragon to me doesn't make sense because, in my mind, dragons should be fucking gargantuan. And even if a cannonball hits it, it should be like, alright. Like, how, how do you even point a cannon into the sky to hit a dragon? Yeah. I, I mean, let, again, let's not go down this road, right? Let's not try and apply any kind of I'm just logic to our fantasy game here. Where they're just like in. stacking little boxes and then like rolling the cannon up on the boxes in front. Yeah. Boxes. Do you know how, like, how long is that going to take? How long is it going to take? And the dragon's <laughs> going to be somewhere else. I mean, like, I on the ground by then. If they're really can, good at stacking boxes, yo. If we can agree that there are dragons in this scenario, I'm more than happy to consider that there is some sort of basic mechanism to raise the trajectory of a cannon slightly <laughs> higher. But like we'll just I think, use a bolt thrower and pivot it up. That's I think amazing. I think the point about like specializing the war machines um a little bit more is is probably fair. I guess you would need to obviously like reflect that in points like Yeah. May- maybe make cannons more high risk, high reward than they maybe are. Um and maybe they become better at dealing with like actual non-flying monsters, because at least you would expect, you know, gigantic models to be slower. It's easy to hit something that's walking on the ground, right? Yeah, so, like, I would ex- I would expect a cannon to be better at, like, dealing damage to something like a giant, or, like, uh, a Felgic Elder or, or something oh, like that. Yeah, Something that's uh, much slower. I know, ultimately, it comes down to, like, mechanics, and there there needs to be a point at which you try and simplify certain things, but I think the the idea of trying to specialize the war machines a little bit more is good. Um, I, I would think then that bolt throwers would need to get significantly more expensive. Like, fucking Orc and Goblins kind of be bringing 190 point or cheaper. I think they're 90 points? Yeah, sorry, 90 point fucking bolt throwers that Guys, can do... 
the dwarf, shit tons. The dwarf ball four is eighty five points currently. What? Yeah. I, I yeah. Think the, and they can scout, right? Well, you need to pay forty points to scout, but, but yeah. But yeah, okay. So like, yeah, that's potentially filthy if they're doing like crazy damage to like fucking dragons and other flying yeah, I mean, shit. Obviously, it needs to be more expensive, right? To reflect. Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In- increase in power and yeah, exactly. Because yeah. fours right now don't usually have clip wings, other than the the uh, KOE one, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But you, you you can trade off things like making it more expensive, but giving it like a better aim score because it's more accurate, and so you're more reliable yeah. to hit things, right? Whereas yeah. like a cannon as, is like as I said, like reducing the range a little bit, so it makes it harder to hit things at long range. Yeah, so like I think something like a cannon, like to me, because it's gunpowder. That should have a higher range or a longer range, and it should do more damage. But the aim score should be like w- much worse. So it's like you're going to be hitting things in fives and sixes, but when you do hit, it's like obviously like a high reward uh, result because you're dealing potentially a lot of wounds to something really far away. But, uh, and this is what I disagree about. This is exactly what Casimir said. It like you you don't win because if if you make it like. A, like a low aim score, like if you okay, if you roll a six and you kill the dragon, then uh-huh. then great, you feel great, and and your opponent feels shit because their dragon got killed on a lucky roll. But then conversely, if you're rolling sixes all game or rolling four sixes all game, you don't hit, then you feel like I've wasted points. Yeah, so, but if we're talking about like a two hundred odd point war machine, it's like well, it's, it's not the end of the world because it's no, too. No, what I'm saying is like make it good against something specific so that you can actually always do damage. Yeah, I think I think you want to have it be like somewhat consistent because otherwise you're just gonna have that like thing where it, it averages out over maybe the course of a tournament, but then in that one game, you know, like you, if you think about somebody who plays casually, so you play like one game a month or less. That single game is gonna matter a lot, right? And if you go to that game and your cannon never does anything like in that game, and then you have to wait like two months to play the next time. I mean, I mean, this like, is an incredibly specific example. No, no, in I order don't. To I try don't like think, balance. I mean, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think so. I think a lot of people who whine on the forum on stuff are people who play not very often, and then they go like they they play, and then they come on the forum and they go like, "Oh, this unit is like super imbalanced," but it's because you know they had like unluck, you know, bad luck in one game. But if you don't play that often, these swings matter like a lot to you. I think that's like a bad way to go down for 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 design. I think you want to like have something that more averages out over five like six turns rather than over thirty turns or something like that. Yeah, like if you have a cannon that's like fairly inexpensive, let's say round ballpark like I don't, how much is a cannon for dwarves now, Casimir? Uh, two forty-five. Two forty-five. So if you say okay, it's one hundred and fifty points, but it's strength strength five, AP ten, area attack like. One by five, and you're doing multiple wounds too. Like your expectations of what that cannon's going to do is quite low. Yeah. So what you're going to use it for? You're going to use it for killing cavalry. You maybe you're going to kill like one or two cavalry models a turn. If you get like a lucky flank shot, you might kill a few, or maybe you're going to kill like like five infantry in a row because it's strength five, it's AP ten. If you're shooting against elves, you can kill five spearmen in a turn. So over the course of a game, that's actually quite a lot of spear elves. Or like it could be quite important cavalry deaths. It can cause panic deaths after a couple of couple of shots. So I think when you're paying like that price for it, then your expectations are a lot lower. But right now you're paying like 250 points for something that maybe does something. And if it does something, great, you've got like 600 points. But if it does nothing, then you've paid 250 points for something that does nothing. I don't know. Like I feel like you still need something that has the potential to hit something like a dragon at 
a, a longer range that has the potential to do more damage because then it forces the opponent to make a decision of do you take the risk or do you just hide behind the hill? Because otherwise, I feel like if it's if, if there's not that potential there for you to do that damage, then the risk is so low for the person that has that dragon just to say, you're not going to do much, I'm just going to push at you, in which case your war machines are pants. Because if you're so relying on a war then, machine that's well, then 18 inches... The bolt, right? Yeah, but if you're talking about any 80, an 18-inch threat range, it's like, well, it's fine, I'll just I'll just get into combat, and then you can shoot me. Well, I'm talking about a 36-inch threat range, but 18 inches has been short range. And you I mean, could, it maybe, could be, you could maybe I mean, say something like you get plus one to hit at short range against towering presence flying things. I mean, you could you could make it 48 to 24 also if that's too if it turns out to be short too short to like force people to engage. Yeah, it was, it was just more about like differentiating it. And yeah, I, I agree with you there. Seven um, in this hypothesized hypothesized fantasy realm hmm. that it actually makes it easier to wound once you do make a hit. It's kind of hard to like think about this in this kind of abstract way without thinking about specific examples and then when you think about specific examples it's kind of hard to be like well is that actually balanced or not because then you're also trying to get it to work across every army that has all slightly different rules and different capabilities so like I, I get what you mean like I, I, I think war machines could be I think every war machine option should be as attractive as each other because they all have a slightly different purpose that's like obvious and like there is value there in taking it I'd just be a bit worried that you would get down to the route of being like certain armies just going like war machine heavy and then that's not a fun game for your opponent anyway if you can just take like oh I'm just going to take one war machine of everything and then it's like I'm I'm covered or like I'm going to double down on something and it'd be really skewy like well that's just ninth age in general isn't it like a lot more the armies are becoming more or the choices in the armies are becoming more like Rock, paper, scissors, and you're. Oh, yeah, it is. But then, like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about those kind of games, or are we talking about casual games? For this one person that's playing once a month that has to play against a gun line. Get new, <laughs> get new friends if you're playing <laughs> every time, let's be honest. I mean, like, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to balance. I think, generally speaking, like, I agree with you, but like, I, I just don't know how you do it, is, is my point. What do you what think, do you... Andrew? He's, 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 he's been very quiet with his uh, knowing he's running his old gunline list. <laughs> uh, I agree. I, I think conceptually, why is a cannon good at doing what it does in the game? I don't like war machines having um, the D3 wounds because it, it makes it swingy and exactly what Kaz said there. It then becomes an all or nothing kind of scenario. Like I've had times where like you're hitting on like a five. And you're you're wounding on you know a two or something because it's a cannon, and then you roll a, a one for your G three wounds, and it's just like like that's no reward there for for him. But equally, there's been bullshit happened with war machines before as well. So I, I don't think D three wounds is a particularly good mechanic, especially for uh, for war machines. Both doors make far more sense for being anti large slash flare to me anyway. I mean, if you've got a big spear sticking out your side, it's going to do some damage, right? But... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, you were talking about the example from Game of Thrones, but you're overlooking the classic example, which was Dragonheart with Sean Connery. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, think you'll find me, I think you'll find me use the bolt thrower there, too. I think you'll um, find the dragon catches the bolt in midair and falls into the into the water and doesn't get hurt. There you go. He passed me three weekend safe. It's fine. <laughs> I think the issue is a cannon, right? Because a cannon doesn't... I'll, I'll be a, a sweaty neck here just now. Um, a cannon was, in terms of battlefield usage, 
a cannon was brought in to deal with large blocks of infantry. And when the cannons became more mobile to actually be effective in, in the battlefield, that's what they were really there for. Otherwise, they were just really used for sieges or to disrupt the enemy uh, formations as they were advancing. So that doesn't really map onto Ninth Age. I think your suggestion about making it anti-elite, kind of anti-armor, would make sense, but then it'd still be like, it's probably the least useful out of all the four machines. No, I like the suggestion. I do. Um, you'd have, it, yeah, you'd, also, you'd have if to you think really about like, what cannons were used for, in, if you want to go down the neckbeard route and say like, I mean, you're you're a historian, right? You you probably have a really good idea of what cannons were used for in in the like the Renaissance and in the Civil War and stuff like that. They were used for like mowing down infantry and yeah, exactly. So that yeah. to me it makes sense that the anti-armor and they do like shrink five hits and area attack. Does that yeah. not kind of? I mean, obviously you can do like the scatter, like with current cannons, right? You can do like the grape shot thing. So yeah. isn't it? Are we not? Does, is that not already there? But it just needs to be slightly longer range. Maybe. Right. Grape, grape shot. But then you've do, got an yeah. open gun, right? Yeah, grape shot doesn't actually do anything in the game now. It, it, it effectively only comes into play if there's an ambushing unit of Longhorn behind you yes. or Wildhorn, and you're like, oh fuck, I'll better grape shot them. Um, whereas grape shot is the actual canister in the cannon. Which mm-hmm. fires like it's there's no less of it's slightly less range, but it's no less effective than actually firing the car uh, cannon as normal. So I guess the, the problem is in terms of game rules, a cannon would fall like it's really doing. It should theoretically do the same job as something like a mortar or a catapult in terms of game mechanics, but you don't want it to be that because it's already yeah. Which is why my suggestion is like make it anti-armor. So similar thing, but more effective against armor. Whereas like, the stone thrower is more effective against like non-armored stuff, but just yeah. Like more hits. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it's like a necessarily a bad thing for these for for like there to be an option for a war machine based army like Dwarves or Empire to like bring one of each type and then kind of like be a little bit more safe against everything, but maybe not great against something. Like if you look yeah. at the if I look at the current uh, dwarf war machines like the flame cannon and the bolt four, they already are in that kind of price range. Like a flame cannon is. It's ridiculously cheap, but that's because it only really does one thing, right? It's the same with the bolt thrower, but then you have like the the ruined up stone thrower that's like 350 points or something crazy because it's yeah. just insanely good against everything, you know? Yeah, I think you should, you know, certain armies should still be able to bring multiple pieces of artillery. I think my, my point that I was trying to make, I obviously didn't make it particularly obvious, was just more that. Either way, like regardless of what you do to war machines, like I don't think there's any way around someone coming away with being like, "Oh, that was a shit game because it got shot off," or his his heavy gunline war um, war machine type list did like tons of damage and it just wasn't particularly fun. I think that's almost an inevitability because yeah. you're talking about someone just rolling really well and it doing like really optimal damage, which is that's part of the game, right? Like, that's why you play. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I get that, but it's like, there's something, at least to me, I don't know if this is a personal thing, but there's like a psychological difference between, say say somebody's like shooting my dragon with uh, several different units of, uh, I don't know, Sylvan Elf uh, type of archers or, or pathfinders or something. And so it's like a Henry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but like you know, and then and then it it dies eventually, or like you know, with combined with magic, like you know, there's all these factors to killing it. And like, sure, at the end of the day, I lost my dragon also, but it's just 
it hits different than if I play against Vermiswarm and I am within 24 of their cannons, so they charge it up, and they hit on like a 5 or a 6 or whatever, and then, or no, it, it should be a 4, I guess, if I, there's no other debuffs, and then he hits, he wounds, and then he does d6 wounds, and he like rolls that 6. Yeah. With that single cannon shot. It just it's different, you know. Like, oh, yeah. I mean we can't we can't base any like actual sensible discussion though on the fucking Vermin's one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but but my point is that like it really is at least for to me as a player, it's like a different experience when it's like that one dice roll for, for like one thing compared to if like you need to uh, to like use your entire army to, to achieve a certain effect, I guess. Yeah. I've got to say I agree. I've been on both sides of that. <laughs> and it's not particularly great either side. So, but then I think the issue then would be like you would have to seriously go through each of these books and say like for highborn elves, for example, that only have a bolt thrower, because I imagine you would have to take them up and shut off the bolt throwers and make them just you know specialist anti large slash flyer. Um, yeah, or, or you do the opposite like the dread elf did, right? So you just you take the single shot off and you make it more of like a yeah, yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah, that could be a way around, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, but no, I, in theory, I agree. <laughs> in theory. Okay. In theory. <laughs> Nobody takes this all mind seriously anyway. It's not like we're gonna enact a change here. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not like Henry is already on the channel console and he can like affect everything in the knife age. Watch this, the next update this is gonna happen. And people are gonna blame us. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it's all Andrew's fault. Yeah, it's always my fault in some way, shape or form. Andrew didn't speak up enough. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of the people. Um no, I definitely agree with uh, dragons becoming red 10, 40 wounds. Who suggested that? That was good. Um, <laughs> distracting for vampires as well. Um, well. There's been a lot of chat about dragons though, like in the past in the forums, right? They need, they kind of need to do what they did with giants and go through all the dragons and actually make them, I don't know, not shit. <laughs> Basically. I don't know. I think the vampire one's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, distracting in a regen save. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Up. of course it is. Yeah, <laughs> don't touch my dragon, please. Well, like you can um, see just on the note of dragons, like you can see that they're like giving them a little bit of a buff. Like the the dread elf one got sense of blood, and there's a few kind of beastmaster sort of things coming into play. Like there's... yeah, that that warrior's dragon got a real fucking buff. Yeah, yeah, well, but that that was a book that was done some time ago, right? So you can, might you might expect something to happen at some point when that gets reviewed, right? But yeah. right now they can't ignore, ignore the background. That's a good fucking start. <laughs> <laughs> We will find out who did that eventually. Paul, and this is a Paul and I have a quest to find out who made that bit of black background. You don't like the chunky dragon? You mean the dragon that can't fly because he's scared? Yeah. yeah. The scale the Feldrax. Who can yeah. fly and the Feldrax can't fly? It makes no sense! <laughs> Go in the air! You're safe in the air! <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it something to do with like they, they evolve differently? No, Henry, uh... do not go down the fucking <laughs> I will school every one of you motherfuckers when it comes to this. It's dumb. It makes no fucking sense. So, I'm just imagining he's like one of those pudgy cartoon dragons who can't, like, actually fly. He can just kind of, like, you know, flap he's a little bit. basically puff the magic dragon. Exactly. That, and that makes me really happy. When it's I'm like the, one of the dragons from Sword in the Stone with a really tiny little wing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so he's, he, like, he can barely flap over a chap unit to charge past it, but he can't, like, actually fly, you know? <laughs> Magic Radio. Right, so let's let's talk about this this update then. The main kind of reasoning behind the update was one to try and rebalance magic. So obviously everyone will be aware in the first update, um, masters and adepts went up, 
um, apprentices stayed the same and generally across the board magic casters went down slightly to try and encourage people to take more dynamic magic builds um, I try to encourage people not just to take one master one adept um, and to do that they changed obviously a little bit of points but also the a couple of spells which we'll talk about in, in a wee second um, but the other big push behind the update uh, both updates was to try and address this tier list so if you're unaware of the tier list according to the, the team so they were coming into it and this was the the, the, the kind of idea they had behind it. Oh, I stole perfectly. I've got uh, First, number one is Dread Elves. Number two is... No, it's not. Number one is Demon Legions. Number two <laughs> is Dread Elves. Which one are you reading? <laughs> Should have taken those Eki before I <laughs> <laughs> Number Number three is Warriors of the Dark Gods. Number four is Highborn Elves. Five, ID. Ogre Cans, Orcs and Goblins, Empire, Sonsville, Vermin Swarm, Undying Dynasties, Dwarven Holds, Vampires... Sylvan Elves, Saurian Ancients, and Beast Heads. Now, I think if you ask anyone in the Ninth Age, they'll come up with a different tier list, uh, tier list though, uh, to that. And basically, the, the, the justification behind it was that that shouldn't be seen as a clear-cut tier list, but that there's quite clearly a couple armies at the top that outperform everyone else. There's a kind of middle tier that are all right, and then there's a, a bottom tier that need a little bit of help. So... The idea behind the, the, the points updates was to try and sort that out or level the playing field a little bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to chat about the more general changes to Magic and the Arcane Compendium, and then we'll talk about our armies and about how the, the updates affected that and whether we feel that, depending on where our army was in that um, tier list, whether we feel like we've been buffed or uh, been debuffed. So um, off the bat then, just generally speaking, how are people feeling about the update? Do you think it has been a success, or do you think that they've kind of missed the the net a wee bit here? Henry, what do you think? Because you're obviously compromised being on the executive board advisory council. I mean, I'm I'm always going to give my honest opinion. I don't I don't don't turn turn the the filter off. <laughs> to be honest. Right. Okay. So um, how shit is this, Henry? Come on. I think. Set the tier list out, obviously, and they've got the you know the rules team have got an idea of what they think is good and what they think is bad, and I think based on that they've done a good job of distributing the points in a way that reflects the tier list that they've come up with. Whether that tier list is correct or not is, I think, up for debate. But I think they've definitely made the ones at the bottom cheaper, and the ones mm -hmm. at the top either more expensive or haven't changed them at all. Okay. So in that respect, I think it's been successful. Whether I think it will work or not, I don't know. I think that's yet to be seen. And if I agree with the tier list, mm, somewhat <laughs> is, is the answer to that question. Okay. Right, we'll, we'll dig into that, obviously, a little bit more. Um, but Kaz, what do you think? So I have, I think I have a bit more faith uh, in that it is. Uh, I don't like again. It's also like how correct is it? Depends on where you play, I guess. But uh, to me, I think they. It looks to me like the tierist is relatively like in the right in the right ballpark, and yeah. I have uh, I have some faith that it, the meta is going to be uh, like shifted around a little bit. Like in the first part of the update, I didn't feel like they they addressed a lot of internal balance things. I think, but I didn't feel like they really did anything to bring up a lot of the lower tier armies, but now in the second part, they've really just gone like, oh, well, by the way, here, you guys just get a ton of points, and 
I just think back to the point where there was, I don't know how many years ago, maybe two or three years ago, when Highborn Elves was, like, really not doing great. And then they got, like, a, you know, around 100 points cheaper or whatever it was. And suddenly they went from, like, being an army that people consider being quite bad to being one of the best armies in the game. And, like, this this kind of delta of, of in amount of points has happened to a lot of armies in this update. So I do mm. think that there should be quite a big shift next year. Okay. Okay. Well, Faith? Uh, Paul, what about you? Do you agree? Generally, in terms of the changes, I think I'm happy to see that some of the armies that were performing not as well, or certainly armies that I think people generally felt were weaker, have definitely walked away picking up some nice changes, certainly in the latest round of uh, update with the points drops. I think that's really good. With regards to the tier lists, um, bar maybe like the top four or five armies that I think most people would agree with are up there, like they should be in that top bracket. I don't really put any faith in the the ranking system. I think mm-hmm. that's almost impossible to do, certainly with the data they've got. So I don't put really any like stock in that necessarily, but I'm kind of one of the biggest things I was kind of surprised about was when the when the first lot of changes came in was like some of the changes to the the magic paths I was quite surprised about yeah. like I know some people like to see that kind of fairly regularly just to mix up the game and stuff but and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but I didn't see any justification for why certain aspects of paths were changed but that aside I think um certainly the dropping points has been good so that's nice I think that helps inject a bit of like um excitement around the project because i think towards the end of the year it can feel a little bit like stagnant and stuff especially mm-hmm. since there might not be as many tournaments and things going on so i think it helps keep things fresh which is good so i think that's definitely been a positive what yeah, about you, you? just offering a shake-up right that's a good, that's good yeah no I, I, yeah i think people really like that and especially is like i think that was always one of the things that the project initially struggled with was getting that balance of keeping things fresh and changing things up but then not changing things too much yeah. Um, so I think it's something that the people generally look forward to yeah. in the year. I mean, in terms of the, the, the tier list, I guess the, the kind of middle and bottom elements of that tier list don't really matter that much uh, because of the tactics they've taken and and addressing some of the points issues. Do we all kind of agree that that those top five armies, the top third, is right? So do we all agree? We, obviously, we can quibble about the order of this, but Demon Legions. Dread Elves, Warriors of Dark Gods, Highborn Elves, and Infernal Dwarves. Would they be everyone's top five? I've got no issues with any of them being in the top five. Whether they categorically are the top five, like, I think certainly like four of them are, but, um, I, yeah, I, not, I don't hear any of those names and think, why the fuck are they in the top five? I think that's right. fair. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think I would put them in a different order, but probably. Yeah, yeah okay. for me, for me as well. That's that what springs to mind when I think about last year, like which armies were, were the best. I think in my I think I would say the top six are definitely correct. Yeah. Okay. And I would just put them in a different order. Right. Okay. I mean that's good, right? Um. So obviously the order might be a wee bit, but I think I've been trying to understand a little bit more, like obviously prepping for this and, and just generally trying to get my head around the update. And um, like I, I told you guys in in the chat, um. Gold State Gaming did a video with Ryan Caps where he kind of explained it all and went through it and went through and read all the, the, the kind of justification for it all. I feel like I've got a better understanding of it or at least understand why they've done the things they've, they've done. And I think that's probably one of the more important elements of the tier list isn't necessarily the, the order of them, 
but those kind of broad, kind of top third, middle third, bottom third. And I think the, the top third is probably right. Again, I, I would probably disagree with the order of them, but I think that's probably less important. So let's talk about more general changes then. Uh, Paul, you said about magic changes. Um, what were the yeah. ones that, that jumped out to you that were like not really on board with that? Um, again, probably just because I'm biased because I've started playing Sylvans, but like the change to um, uh, Druidism, where you're you can no longer um, use the attribute to heal multiple times in the phase. You're now capped at one. Which seems a bit shit because uh, I didn't think that was that bent, but I don't know what the justification for that was. So the justification uh, for that was that because of Kingdom Hecatine and Saurian Ancients getting their LABs, that they are quite elite armies. They didn't want, both of them obviously have access to Druidism, they didn't want an easy way for you to basically be guaranteed heals in an elite army like that. Yeah, I get, I, that, that's fair. Like, personally, like, I fucking hate playing against anything that's undead that can raise. Like, I've got no problem with healing stuff, but like, personally, like, I would prefer a game where you can't raise a knight from the dead or like an elf. I would rather there be something else there to like prevent them from taking that damage somehow. But like, um, regardless, I just, I get that. And that's good that they're obviously looking at trying to prevent abuse in the game. Cause obviously that's not going to be fun, but like, it just, again, it's, I don't know if Sylvan's is just this, particular case where you're like this is book that I've been screaming out to be lapped yeah and now you've done something else to like hurt this book that a lot of people feel like should have been done already and now they need to wait while this change is in place I just think it it's just a bit shit personally like I don't it's just one change I didn't really like um saying that they did they did boost some of the other spells like they increased the range um I think of Healing Wars, I think that went up yeah. to 18. Yeah. And uh, Spirits of the Wood as well, that went up, which is good. I, again, it's a side note, but like the ranges in Druidism are fucking bullshit anyway. Like, Make them all 18 or whatever, like take away the terrain bullshit. But mm. um, that aside, I think those two things kind of stood out for me. Um, and also the just some of the ordering changes and some of the other paths I thought were interesting, like um, in Occultism. Like yeah. moving the breath weapon to number one, I, was was that tied to trying to increase more people to take apprentices? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a. I feel like that's a great change though, because that the apprentice on occultism before was terrible, like really, really not good in my opinion. Yeah, now, now it has pentagram is more of like a, a spell that you want to have with the master because it can heal yourself, so it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, you can still take it on an adept, so it's not like, um, it doesn't prevent you from, like, taking it on, like, an adept on a dragon if you've got that option or, or something like that, because that's quite a nice way to heal. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting, because it wasn't a change I was expecting. So when, when they did it, I was just kind of curious as to why, because it seemed like quite a big one. Like, I always kind of feel like the, the paths are pretty much set in stone. Um, kind of like last year when they, when they did the pyromancy changes, I, like, I didn't expect, them to like change one of the spells and then change the the attribute as well like it seems quite strange mm. to me but um yeah just kind of they, they were the kind of big ones in, in the actual lores that kind of stood out to me i don't know what everyone else thought about that 
So to me, it really, like, at least the, the moving some of these spells to the first uh, position in order to, bet, like, incentivize you to take an apprentice is one of those things that now, I never considered it, but now when they did it, I'm like, yeah, that actually makes so much sense, because mm-hmm. there's really almost no incentive to take an apprentice, especially if he has access to what is, I guess, quote-unquote, the weakest spell in the path, or at least maybe that's how I thought about it, you know, way back. But, like, you know, then you're always going to upgrade it. But So, in a sense, it should be quite a useful spell. That's the first spell. Because he doesn't get any, any channel or any plus to cast or anything like this, right? Mm. Uh, so, so to me, really, that, that one really makes sense. But uh, as for the Druidism, I, I also would agree that I, I'm not sure that was even needed. Like, most of the time, people who play Druidism don't cast more than maybe one or two spells with the attribute anyway, so... Yeah, okay. I don't think it's that big difference with Druidism. I think when you play Druidism, you, you're you casting two spells per phase. You're casting Summer Growth when you're casting Stone Skin, and maybe you're casting Throne. So, and your and your opponent's going to stop one of them. So you're really only healing one one anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes, in some occasions, you might heal two, but, I mean, it's not often enough. And, like... and I think as well, if... If they are expecting more apprentices, let's say. So if you have a lot of apprentices or adepts running around, then you don't want them to be able to just kind of spam heals everywhere, maybe. I mean, if you... So, like, taking that point, like, if you're not expecting anyone to get more than one or two spells off max with Druidism, then why make that change? Well, what I'm saying is maybe they're expecting people to be taking more adepts and apprentices. So if you have, like, an adept and an apprentice, then you have a lot of smaller spells, and you're not necessarily going for that, like, split your dice in two kind of phase. So, I, I don't know, it's just a small thing, but maybe... Do you think you that's... Have... Like, you've played, you've played Sylvans, like, way more than I have. Do you think that's likely in Sylvan Elves, mm. as an example? Because that, I mean, personally, that's not how I write lists, but I don't generally like to spend too many points in characters, so maybe I'm just, like, the wrong person to ask about this. Um... You don't tend, tend to see Agates in Druidism, though, right? You tend yeah, to you, don't, see you don't really tend to see them, but maybe you will if they're a bit cheaper. But I, in general, I don't really like Druidism, so I'm also not really the best person to ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's boring as fuck. It's not a great lore to play for fun, it has to be said. No, I, I think, they, I think that, that path is the one that needs the most rework. Yeah, I agree. Um, I... I thought generally that the magic changes were good. I was worried at first about corruption going to number one in occultism because I had visions of like uh, apprentice cowboys just running in front of units and knights and things like that and just five dice and breath of corruption, mm. which I think there still might be a part of that going on um, or will go on or at least people will try it. I think the vermin is the biggest thing, right? Yeah, let me, yeah. Let me tell you a story about a guy <laughs> on a platform who is now an apprentice, so he's pretty cheap, and then the platform has a Breath of Corruption as its bound spell as well, so you get double Breath of Corruption on one mole, and it, it's, uh, it also you know gives you 5 plus poison in a unit, and the unit's unbreakable, and fearless, and yeah, it's, it's what a fun and balanced book that was. Yeah, it's pretty fun, uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Why do you get a bound spell Breath of Corruption? I, well, I mean, uh, because there's a platform, so I guess then it needs a bound spell, I don't know. So you know the platform like squirts yeah. out corruptions. I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> it's a rat ogre fart. Fart <laughs> factory. Great. <sighs> I guess yeah. the other big thing with magic was uh, 
justifiable and now become irreplicable. Like I know a lot of people were, were talking about that when they made that change. Is being like, it. like is is that good? Like fireball is such a shitty spell. Like, yeah, I I think actually this is my soul point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think fireball. That's a red herring. Don't chase the fireball because that's not what the issue with pyromancy is now. The issue with pyromancy is why the fuck is Blaze now twenty four inches, strength five, AP two. Is the reason that they did that is just to um, to reduce the impact on things like Sylvan Elves and other Elves because getting like D3 hits is killing more Elves basically. So if you just have one hit, then it's then it's a bit more manageable. And so why is it AP2? Because if it's one hit with Strength Five AP2, it it's kind of doing something. If it was one hit at Strength Four AP Zero, then it wouldn't really be a good enough attribute. Or then doesn't it, this make it better against trees, though? Well, it's fire. Yeah, but it's a higher <laughs> strength, so you're now wounding better with a reroll. Rather than wounding not as bad with the reroll, so it wasn't as bad. But well, it was, it, well, it's better It's better versus trees, but worse versus elves, right? Right, so it's still shit against silver elves. Well, pyromancy is just bad in general against silver elves. Like, what are you going to yeah, do? <laughs> of course it is. But that's my point. It's like you're saying, like, oh, yeah, they did it to help someone else. It's like, what are we talking about? How is this helping silver elves? You're giving well, this to helping silver elves. <laughs> you're, it's still getting around what the path should be bad at. Just dealing with high toughness stuff. High toughness armor. Strength, strength 5 and AP2 is not breaking the bank against high toughness stuff, and it's only one hit. No, but it's a hit that hits automatically, right? So you're just wounded, and it's chip damage against either elite or single model stuff that pyromancy shouldn't be good at dealing with. That's my tits in. Like, the, ever since they changed this attribute, it's been bad news for vampires. <laughs> <laughs> every every version of this is fuck vampires in some kind of way. Andrew's Andrew's regen dragon has not liked this change. My regen dragon hasn't liked it. My altars haven't liked it. My fucking Henry, when we played, how many battle guard died for that fucking blaze? Like, <laughs> you let me cast it every turn. It's, like, it's the attribute. I can't stop it. <laughs> I think for what it's worth, I think pyromancy falls in at the same boat as druidism. I think it needs a fucking rework. I think it that part of it wouldn't be as bad if. The rest of the path is a little bit more varied. I don't think you would need that attribute. I think that could just go back to what it was if the rest of the path gave you a little bit more options, but it's bland as fuck. I think it was a mistake taking the combat buff out that they added. Yeah, I thought that was a good change. Yeah. Like, I get, like, for the armies that had it, it was a bit mental, but again, like, I think they, they should have kept that spell as offering something different than just damage. Fucking ID. I this like why, This is why we can't have nice things. It's <laughs> fucking ID. But yeah, that's true. ID break everything. Yeah. Okay, so those were the kind of big changes to the magic pass. The other one that's probably worth mentioning is the change to speaking in tongues in Thaumaturgy. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a yeah. good change. Yeah. It's, it's spicy. Yeah, also because, like, uh, so I think, I, I have no idea if this is the motivation, but I noticed when I was playing uh, the, new, the new Vermers form, actually, that the old version of the spell was just, like, absolutely, I mean, just game-breaking when you played against it as uh, as Vermers form, because, <laughs> so, like, so as an example, I was playing, I think, uh, Steve, uh, I think is his name, uh, with de- yeah. who plays Demons, and he had a court son with Witchcraft, and he just, like, literally the game was, you know, I've, like he charges one of my big units in the front with his courtesan, 
And then he goes like, well, I have Whispers of the Veil and Speaking in Tongues, so I'm just going to cast four dice on one and four dice on the other. And then I d- decided like an idiot to dispel uh, Whispers of the Veil, because there's minus one discipline. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, you can't use your general's uh, discipline. I'm like, oh, wait a second, what's the discipline in my unit? Five. Okay, fear. Four. <laughs> it's like, oh, four with minimized and a reroll. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. You flee. And I'm like, oh, I just lost like 900 points and the whole game on one spell. And he just wasn't, you know, like it was just kind of... His guy, his guy moves 10 and charges me in the front, and I lose the game. And it was just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, this was this was a change like directly for Vernon's form, right? Yeah. 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 So this just, is this yeah. is interesting. So that's three examples of changes that have been specifically brought in for specific armies. Is that like the way Magic's going to go now? Like, is this something that the project's more conscious of when they're doing these things? Mm, I'm not sure. I think it's um, obviously like the labs are quite um, they're quite guideline heavy. So the lab teams are kind of designing around guidelines. Mm-hmm. So if you if you if you say to like the team, okay, like using Vernus Form as, as an example, like the discipline of units has to be really low, but your leaders can kind of help them and you can get like minimized or re rolls from external sources or whatever guidelines they got and that's how it manifested. And then the way it manifests and is how the task team envision it and maybe they just don't see that there's like one spell that just destroys their army so then you have to kind of you can't tweak a whole lab to to uh just around one spell so it's easier just to tweak the spell to uh to make it yeah. not broken against that one matchup yeah it's, inter- it's interesting though that the lab takes priority because you're tweaking something that affects every other army that has access to it albeit it's only one spell so i don't think it's a huge deal but it's just interesting that that's the kind of the way it's going yeah I, I, like i don't know if that's i'm just kind of I'm speaking in hyperbole, or I'm speaking in tongues here. That's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Yeah. Like, I, I would say, I guess for, just from an outside perspective, would be that like, initially when we started Knife Age, I think armies were in general a little bit more generic. Like every arm, army had kind of, you know, could do a little bit of everything, and it, it wasn't so specialized. And we be- okay. like they've become more and more specialized and more and more themed. And if you want the armies to be like that, like, you know, each army be unique rather than, like, you know, just a slightly different skin of the same mechanics, then you, you need to be able to rejig the game to, to fit that. Because otherwise, you, you'll never be able to have, like, a low-discipline army, for example. If, yeah. uh, if you have, like, what, like for example, a spell like this that just says, like, oh, by the way, you can't use your general. And, yeah. No, I, I like it. I think it's a good change. That was really the only big changes to, um, there was a couple of tweaks to casting values and stuff, but nothing that was particularly insane, I don't think. Um, so let's chat about items, because there was a couple of changes here. So the ones yeah. that are probably worth talking about are the Crowd of Autocracy, the Crystal Ball, and a couple price tweaks that I think have actually made certain items a lot more appealing. So I'm thinking Crown of the Wizard King and Hero's Heart in particular. But um, what do you guys think about some of these uh, item tweaks? Oh, Crown of Autocracy is that's my probably my favorite change of the entire update. Like yeah, it's, it, it was it. like like I I hated the idea that you could take like you could make a general who was supposed to be bad at at discipline just better at discipline. Yeah. Like that you could shore up your weaknesses by going like oh let my caster be my general so I don't actually need to invest in discipline or whatever. Yeah. 
And then additionally, the just the I don't know about vampires, but giving UD the uh, the option to create another like autonomous part of their army, or at least a single autonomous unit, is just to me is like reinvigorated my my love for UD. Like it just like it just changes everything. Like it just opened up so many list builds. Uh, Dusty Boner is like picking yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> is, this, is this an example of something that gets around an army weakness? <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, I mean, maybe, <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about. Uh, I mean, there's definitely things that do that in a different way already in the book, but it's one of those things where movement is like the most important part of the game, right? And yeah. Not being able to march outside of twelve inches of your your general is it's just it's such a like you need to always design your list around it and at least this like I don't know if it's OP or not because there's not enough time has passed right but it at least changes the way the army plays like quite significantly I think yeah I think for for vampires um, this is a much welcome change um, both in terms of actually just boosting your general's bubble as well like a lot of people were looking at it as oh I can put this character in a unit and make them autonomous. But if you've got a foot slog in Vampire or if you're running a Necro or something, it's actually quite a big difference from 12 to 15 inch bubbles. Yeah. Um, it can give you a lot more wiggle room, um, especially for things like Banshees and Wraiths. And, um, it just makes you that little bit more flexible because especially if you are running like a Necro General, he's often at the back. So having that extra three really helps. The, the one issue with, um, Vampires is that you can't give it to the Barrow King. Because he's got not a leader, which is a bit of a shame. Because it would be nice to have him, like, give him that role rather than vampires. Makes but sense. Either. I guess it's because he is like dead, <laughs> so he, <laughs> he shouldn't be making decisions. <laughs> um, but I think that would have been a cool way to, to give him something. But I understand why he did it that way. So yeah, I like it. I also like the crystal ball. I think that's a really good change. Uh, I think it's maybe five points too expensive, but I think it's really good. Okay, that's interesting because it's now, um, what is it, 45 points now, but it is now dominant, and that was a change in the, the recent update. Yeah, I think that's a good change. Yeah. So, Henry, you were obviously using it. Paul, Kaz, have you been using this? I Unless I played Dwarves, I never invest in anti-magic because it's boring. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, like... I, to me, I'm like, I, either I can get like an item that lets me do more cool shit, or I get an item <laughs> that stops my opponent doing something, and I just always, like, I don't know, I just always gloss over binding skulls and, and crystal balls and stuff. Yeah, crystal balls not actually something that I've used. Like, Plain Selvins have been running, like, double binding, and, like, just making sure I've got a couple of units with, like, magic res on them. Yeah, I don't know, like, it's it's definitely good, and it's, it's worth thinking about taking. I, there's just other stuff I'd rather take, and you know, it's like everything else. Like you only, you can only take so much stuff. So, um, if you want to just go full of magic defense, you're not actually going to take a caster. If you are taking things like binding scrolls and ether icons and stuff, so kind of like warriors in 1.3, where you could take a wrath priest, and he actually had like a bonus to dispel, mm. rather than a, a bonus to spell because he can actually cast magic. So that's kind of cool, kind of reminiscent of that. Yeah, he was such a cool character. He, he was right. Take, yeah. Stupid little lap. With our big fat dragons. Yeah. <laughs> I I like I really like it. Um it's still for me just now, it's still like that first item that gets cut if I'm over points. But um I like that it puts pressure on the binding scroll as a kinda auto take for anti magic. I can see it becoming quite popular. I think we'll just need to wait and see because I think people are, are still kinda getting their heads around it just now. And we don't really know how popular it's gonna become. But uh, 
I think it's cool, cool idea. Although I like the last Crystal Ball to be fair as well, but I think it, it's definitely more impactful now. Did the um the road of battle going up to eighteen inches like they had didn't change the points on that right? It's just the range. Yeah, it's still the same. Yeah, that seems really popular before, and I wonder why they brought that in. Does anyone know why they've increased that? I don't think it was that popular. Yeah, it wasn't. Wasn't. I would take it occasionally. It was in like tons of ogre lists. But this was the really popular for ogres. Yeah, this was something that Caps talks about in that video. Um, that it was taken a lot by certain armies and then not taken at all by others. So they think that it was because of the range, because something like an ogre shaman is always going to be near the combat blocks, just because of the nature of, of ogres. So this was to try and encourage casters to be able to sit back a little bit more and still use it. Although in the face of it, because ogres were already using it and it's just got a six inch buff, it's a, it's a buff for ogres, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can kind of see the logic behind it though. It's definitely made it far more appealing for like vampires again, because if you give it to a necro, he's at the back. It makes it more usable. What about the the kind of general price changes? Was there anything else here that caught your eye? Uh, I think lightning van braces is like a massive change, and that's yeah. quite, quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't know how good it is though. I I ran it uh, in two or well three or four of my games, and I think I only cast it like once or twice. It's one of those things that I think looks a lot better on paper than it is in mm. reality. Uh, but it's definitely, like, before it was completely useless the way it was, and now it is uh, has actually some type of use, because it now it casts the Hand of Heaven, I guess, uh, to say. I mean, I ran Thaumaturgy for, like, the last six months to play Nogars, and I always took Hand of Heaven, but I probably 90% of the time always cast the boosted version, because the plus yeah. one seems to make a difference. So yeah, now, because it's just, it's just the base version isn't quite as good, like... I would agree though, it's certainly points. more tempting than the other one. You can't really go wrong. No, like it's it's a good option for sure. Like um but I don't know, again, I'd just probably rather take other stuff. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that when I wrote lists with it, like usually the idea I think for me when I take bounce spells is like how do I invest less in magic and then instead take bounce spells to shore up? Uh, mm. but I, what I found is that it just doesn't really replace the, the normal magic because uh, like for example when you play if you play dwarves that like five for a two two dice instead of four it makes such a big difference for things to go off but it's just two dice to have a four casting value like yeah if, if it's important you're, you're not getting it you know? yeah but but i think what this actually does is both these changes to the bounce spells in the in the rule book i think it makes it possible to build a magic phase without a master because maybe now you can take an apprentice with a couple of bounce spells and have three spells, or you can take like an apprentice and an adept and have a couple of bounce spells and build a magic phase in a different way. Because yeah. before the lightning van braces was just a waste of time, you would never take it. But now it's actually like a half okay spell. And the the extra range with Rod of Battle also makes it a bit more attractive. So yeah. I think what you can do now is you can build your magic phase in a different way. Like I was having a chat with Fraz today and he was like, uh, I, just, I want to do no magic dread elf because X Y Z Fraz moaning is <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, look, like okay, instead of doing no magic, why don't you just take the the warlock um, acolytes and take a champion? Then you got two spells, and then just like smatter some bounce spells into your characters because the dread elves also have a bounce spell in their in their lab in their lab. Yeah. So you can have three bounce spells and two spells from the champion on the acolytes, and you can build a magic phase and not have to have to buy a, a wizard in your characters. 
I'll so just you'd recommend the... the fuck up. Well, I mean, <laughs> one, you've got one of the best casters in the game, so why are you moaning about not taking magic? And, and <laughs> I'm not two... moaning. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about Fraz. And two, did you just recommend for us to take a dwarven magic setup instead of something like that okay yeah, um, it's, it's cool it's nice to have the options it's nice that there's a bounce spell to buff combat and one to actually do damage and as you say you can run other things in there like if you wanted you could take like crown as well as king or like heirloom and stuff like that as well like just quite cool I'm hella tempted by the crown now yeah, that five yeah. point change has made a big difference. It's not. I, I've used, I used it in my tech in my tech list, and it was really good. Yeah, if you look at all the what number one spells, because of the change to pentagram, like pentagram was always the one. That, like I love pentagram for the dragon and stuff like that. But like Kaz said, if it was on a foot guy, like it was never really going to make an impact. But now, if you look at all the number one spells, they're all good. Like they all have a, a use in most lists. So. Alchemy is probably the one that's still a little bit like, you know, matchup dependent. The rest, I think, are are pretty good. So I'm pretty. Yeah, I've rolled I've rolled alchemy against Beastheads before. Just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough, Fraz and I were talking about it. And we we were both saying, yeah, it looks quite good. And he played Steve last night. He rolled the Wizard King and he got uh, alchemy against demons. And he's like, well, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it still wounds on a six though, so it's not like it would be the same as as say. Like, yeah, has been. <laughs> I'm graduating draws <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, let's just waste uh, two dice rolls of sixes. Yeah, was there anything else? Uh, I mean, personally, the, the the change to Heroes Art cut by today because that wasn't something that was released before uh, to community engagement. This this was a last minute change. That going down to fifty points opens up, you know, a realm of possibilities in terms of giving it uh, to your a BSB with. Um, Essence of Mithril, for example, I think is going to be a common build to get under the 100. Yeah, I think the the change to AP2 is quite significant, um, but I do like it because I think it's a weapon that's overused and kind of outshadowing some of the, like, let's say, army book weapons sometimes. Mm. So yeah, I, I do like this change. Yeah, me too. Like, I mean, initially I remember when they introduced Heroes Hearts way back, the idea they said is, you know, to be able to buff, like, a, a traditionally non-fighty character or, like, not a great character into something that could actually fight. But because of that plus one AP to the to the strength, you often saw it actually on, like, really fighty characters. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I felt like they didn't really achieve what they wanted it to achieve, and I think this is the right direction. So now... If you're already strength five, there will be no reason to take Hero's Heart, and I think that's how it should be. Yeah, you're literally only getting plus one attack for fifty points. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um I'm thinking Barrow King, BSB, Essence Mithril, Hero's Heart, Pair of Weapons, and Crown of the Wizard King. Ha ha Yeah. I think something like Kingslayer now though, which you don't see very often, is maybe more attractive than Hero's Heart. Yeah, depending on what you're going for, yeah. Which I think is also a nice way of like balancing other weapons. And I also like that most of them are 50 points now. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Any other changes from the kind of magic side of things or uh, items that anyone wants to flag? So let's head to the army books, I think. Let's head to the army books. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we'll basically just go around and our experts can give us the download on <laughs> the changes in their army book and absolutely not just frantically scroll to the change log and, and talk about them. Um, so... Paul, do you want to kick us off with Sylvan Elves and Ogres? Um, am I taking Sylvan Elves? Henry, you don't want to take Sylvan Elves? Go ahead, mate. 
I've right, talked okay. a lot already. Sorry, I'm just frantically uh, going to the gym club. Don't mind me. Yeah, so like I think as I said earlier, like Sylvan's for sure like came out really well after like the latest change in points. It's pretty much most of the book got a point step, so I think certainly most of my lists that I had, they've all basically came down by roughly a hundred points or so. Which is really nice, just because it helps just like mix up the character builds a little bit or take a couple of extra bodies here and there. So I think that's pretty good. As we've kind of said, like with magic and stuff, like there's been some tweaks to druidism and like the, um, we didn't mention it, but like the change to Spirits of the Wood, like there was, a, I think there was a little bit of kickback on that, but I think it's still good, um, for Sylvan Elves. Whereas before you could cast it on enemies that were in combat, you can't do that now. Yeah, I think you have to have Oaken for up. Yeah, which is like, depending on the phase, like my experience so far, and Henry, you can say whether this is the same for you, like, it really just comes down to like, what your opponent is going to attempt to stop. Like, if you're going to have a really strong phase, you'll probably make sure they stop throwing, because they know you're going to get at least one spell through, and it's better than to make sure that it's not the the buffed version, like, whereas before, like, playing against Drizm, I never really knew really how to, like, prioritize when and when not to stop throwing. Um, yeah, I think, you, I think you're right with what you say. So, like, it's still, like, as I say, the Spirits of the Wood changes is a little bit different, but it's still good, and it still gives you it's a little bit more offensive now than defensive, which is cool. Things like, you know, changing to uh, like the points on archers, for instance, like core archers have always been a bit of a uh, sore point, I think, for Silver Elf players, just because they have seemed like really overcosted. So I'm not saying that this like solves all the problems in the book, but certainly making them cheaper is like a good intermediary until they actually do the labs. So, um, I know some people on the forums were saying they're quite excited now with just what these changes allow you to do in core and just being able to take like a few more archers and a couple of units and things. Like you can basically take now like two units of 18 archers in core and a couple of units of like heath, uh, hunters in core as well. So you can basically get like two scorers, two pieces of chaff and like 40 plus shots, which is still pretty decent. Um, whereas before you couldn't quite do that and points were a little bit more awkward so I think my, that's favorite, nice. my favorite change in this is the forest eagle went down to 95 points <laughs> yeah it's interesting because it didn't I, happen in the high off book <laughs> just for reference it's funny because like it made me think of the um this the saber tooth tigers in the ogre book because like i know like they're like one of the best bits of chaff in the game uh, partly just because of like the points and they're, like the two wins and like res four and stuff like that, like they've got a lot going for them, like as single models. And now I'm like looking at the eagle and I'm like, oh, that's like basically the same thing, but it flies, like it's like better in a lot of ways. So like it's pretty cool. But yeah, like it's it's pretty much just points decreases everywhere, like nothing's gone up. And as I say, most of the entries have gone down, so I think that's pretty positive. So I mean, this is probably a good point to ask, but. Uh... So in terms of the points changes, I think everyone was kind of surprised by the amount of points changes across um, the kind of mid to lower tier books. Mm. And Sylvan Elves are consistently uh, identified as a, one of the weakest armies. Do you think that these kind of changes, having you know a, a general idea of the other changes across the army books, is this going to make an impactful kind of effect on Sylvan Elves standing? Or do you think this is just going to be kind of lost 
I, I, I don't know. Like maybe Henry can speak to whether or not he feels like that's going to change, like where they might be in any kind of tier list. For me, the biggest I, thing with the point step is just the fact that it just freshens up the book. And personally, as a new player, I like most of the stuff in the book. For me, it's not. I don't dislike the units themselves. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff in the Sylvan book, but I think the issues lie like in how the book works together and like general synergy and certain items being quite restrictive or etc. So like, I think for me, like just the change in points makes list building a little bit more interesting and just being able to like fit in a couple of extra bodies or like new items and things like that into lists, I think is quite a big deal for me at least. Um, I don't know if that necessarily changes. I'm not, I'm not expecting this like all of, like seven players now to go out and start like kicking the shit out of like warrior lists and like, <laughs> demons and shit like that but like I don't know maybe Henry thinks otherwise but I don't I can't see this necessarily changing Sylvan Elves on, on a tier basis like I think the issues for Sylvans go beyond just points yeah Paul's definitely right in what you say um, I think the the issues for Sylvan Elves are not um, necessarily the points but more the rules and and mostly the way that the character section can be built um, the points are obviously going to help a lot. I think getting another 100 points in your army is significant. But to illustrate what Paul was saying about the way that the items work, in the Beta 1 hotfix, like the previous one in January, whenever it yep. was, the, the Hunter's Honor went up by 10 points because it was taken a lot. And obviously rules teams see that, oh, this has taken a lot, so that it needs to go up in points. But when you put that honor up, or the, the, it's like the magical spear that Sylvan have. Uh, mm. When you put that up eight, uh, by ten points, it basically invalidated every single build that you have with that item because now you can't build your character anymore. So then, in this one, it went down ten points so that you can continue to do that because otherwise it won't be taken. So I think that really illustrates like how tight the the Sylvan Elf item allowances mm. and just the way that the items don't necessarily work with building characters and I think in general one of the problems that rules team have is they don't have an overview of actually all the different builds in the character sections of all the armies so it's quite difficult for them to do points changes for items because as soon as they do that it can invalidate builds and then then the balance of the army gets completely changed and I think the Sylvan Elves need to have a complete rework of the item section to make the army competitive yeah, that's not going to happen until like lab comes around as well. No, and that, that's not within the scope of this update. Yeah, like inevitably, like when they they say, "Oh, we're going to like you know," when the ACS were doing the the three things suggestions on the forums and trying to get like community feedback, and inevitably you get the the people being like, "Can you redesign this?" And you're just like, "This isn't what we're asking," and, and then like, the forum just gets like hijacked. Well, actually, that that's important because uh, Dread Elves didn't get any second wave changes. And don't quote me on this, but I'll say it on a recording that will go out to everyone. Um, <laughs> I think that's because the changes that the ACS asked for for the second round were all design changes, and rules team said no. I can, I can, uh, as part of the Dread Elf team, <laughs> <laughs> go for it, um, as part of the Dread Elf team, we're working on some um, wider rules changes to the army. So right now we're waiting for rules team feedback on on the guidelines that we can act- what we can actually do and that's why there was no other changes. So I was right. Yeah, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> 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 C- 
could you confirm whether or not like a lot of the community were primarily asking for rules changes and so they didn't necessarily make any points tweaks because no, there, there it was wasn't any more, it was more to do with the lab team we didn't want to just change points because we felt as a lab team that there's lots of things that we wanted to change in the army so what we've been doing mm. over the last month or two has been like probing the ACS to actually ask the community for feedback on what they think is necessary to make the book more interesting to play and more balanced. So that's why there's been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion on rules in the Dreadelf forum, because the ACS have been actually asking for feedback because we want to make changes. Mm -hmm. We want to make changes based on the community feedback. What are the kind of things that you're looking at changing or like what are the kind of things that the community are asking to be changed? In general, a bit like the Sylvan Elves, it's the character section that's the issue. There's a lot of forced cookie-cutter builds in the character section. Like, for example, there's a lot of weapons that certain characters can't take for background reasons. And we want to, if possible, if allowed to by a rules team, we want to open that up a bit more to make it possible to kind of build your own character a bit more. Uh, right. Make it a bit more flexible. And some, also the Warlock is also something that we're looking at, um, tweaking a bit. And so I think in general it's the character section that's going to see some overhaul. Okay. I've got this uh, image of like Fraz in his garden kind of sends smoke signals because he's been banned from the farm. Like, <laughs> make, it all, make it all cheaper. <laughs> but also in the in the points update, there was a lot of character builds that were made invalid because of the points changes. So that's okay. also something that we're we're aware of and we're looking to rectify in the update. This isn't going to go the same way as the fucking Warlock Outcast, is it? Where it was like really fucking good, and then everyone bitched about it, and I was like, oh, why does he have to be a master? Oh. And we're like, make him, make him an adept or whatever. And then they were like, right, okay, we'll give you that, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna change the the bloody buff that he gets and built as a balance to that. Like that just seemed a bit mental to me. Like that no, was always. This is this is an, an element that we're looking at changing. The community bitchiness, or the... Oh, please. <laughs> oh, you, you're never going to change that. <laughs> I mean, banning Fraz was probably, like, a good start. <laughs> uh, that, I'm amazed that Warlock rule hasn't changed, to be honest. I think it's... I mean, it's, it's not affecting bounce spells anymore. I think that's the biggest win. Win-win <laughs> there, eh? Yeah. Um, okay, so... But, but just just on that, Andrew, like, just to give just to give you, like, a comment on that, like, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, you're right, it's really strong. But then you're also paying 400 points in your character allowance where you can't take a general. So that's that's like 400 points of your army that you're paying, where in a normal army you're paying 400 points and you also get a general. And what army is that a general? High elves, silver elves, okay, ogres, so, right, elves. So if you, if you take a, an ogre, he's leadership 8, right? Yeah. And how much is a master on an ogre? Like, what, 360-ish? Yes, and a warlock's what, like four hundred fifty something, four twenty? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't written dread elves for a while, but mm. <laughs> but that's 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 the kind of the balancing factor on that. Like, yeah, it's strong, but it costs you a lot to actually be able to take that. And this is also why Fraz is like saying, oh, maybe no magic is the right way of going. Also, it's hilarious to play dwarves against people with warlock outcasts because they have to like once again rework how they're casting their spells, and it's like, the amount of times they manage to pick the number one number of dice is like really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so Sylvan Elves then good changes, but we're not convinced it's going to shake yeah. things up. Yeah, I think I think it's a step in the right direction, definitely positive, but 
I don't think it's going to change the wider issues the book's got. Okay, yeah. I, I was laughing when you were talking about the archers. It's like, this is how demoralized the Silver Elf community is, that they're excited about slight changes, like one-point changes to additional art. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> they're like the, the guy from Waterworld that sees paper. He's like, paper! <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, Kaz, do you want to talk about uh, one of your armies? More, uh, more, uh, yeah, so so actually, like to be honest, to be honest, let's do uh, do dwarves now because it's the exact same stuff as the civil elf. Okay. Like we actually don't really need to say anything more than like everything went down. Will it make it the best army in the game? Probably not. Like the most interesting change is that the movement spell got a lot better. Uh, so uh, dwarves have a movement spell that nobody picked before because it gave you like a six-inch magical move. So they didn't changed even that. know they had that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was it was it was so bad. Like it was it was completely useless. So now they changed that. So the magical move is now eight inches, uh, but most uh, significantly, it gives you light troops when you uh, cast it for the duration of the of the turn, basically. And why this is interesting is because it allows you to take like a shooting unit, uh, march it, cast the spell, move again with light troops, and because you now have light troops, you are allowed mm-hmm. to shoot. Yeah. Uh, so you can do, like, I don't know if this will end up being competitive, but you can do, like, you know, shenanigans stuff, like taking a unit of Forge Wardens, move them nine inches uh, in a block, then cast the spell, and then reform into, a like, ten line, a line that's ten uh, wide and two deep, and shoot, for example, like, things like that. So so that might see some, like, new interesting things uh, in lists, I think. No, it does not. Forge wardens, come on. <laughs> oh, dude, they, they are so cheap. You get okay. Listen to this. You get twenty forge wardens, uh-huh. so t- twenty dwarves with plate armor, with a gun that hits on a two plus for three hundred and thirty-five points with full command. What does the flamethrower do? So it's a hit. Always hits on a two plus. Range yeah. eighteen. Strength free flaming. Sorry, silver elves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's 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 not like it's not gonna change the you know it's not gonna, a game ending type of shooting weapon, but it, the unit is three hundred and thirty points. It's getting there though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, okay. Like it, it's so cheap that it, it's almost a chaff unit that also just destroys silver elves, skinks, vermin swarm. You know? <laughs> Can they take shields? Uh, no. If they could, Thank they fuck. like. They would have been in every list, I think, <laughs> but no. Yeah, they would be the dread uh, auxiliaries. From I was going to say, on, auxiliaries on roids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But so, I, I think I think you'll see them more. Like, they probably still won't be the best thing ever, but you'll see them, I think. Shane okay. Baxter will absolutely run a list with Max Ford <laughs> Hortons with, with this spell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Dwarf Changes just kind of the general, I think that's yeah, quite typical like, of that kind of, uh, like, grouping. Yeah, like, minus minus somewhere between 100, 150 points, depending on your list, and that's awesome and great, and will probably make the How play. did the Grudge Buster go down 10 points? Yeah, the Grudge Buster is what? It's so cheap! It's insane! <laughs> it's cost 305 points for a flying chariot that does grind Bloody attacks. <laughs> oh, I love playing horse. Did Slayers go down? <laughs> Yeah, Slayers went down first as well. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so literally every unit in my army list went down at least five points. Like, we're, we're fucking worried about War Machine fucking builds, and yet you can still run, like, fucking an army of Slayers that just somehow got cheaper. Like, yeah, that's fun. 
Oh, Rune, Rune of Lightning went down 15 points. Yeah. yeah 20 so, points. Are so that, that's like a, it's a significant design change, I guess, is that they, they made it 0 to 2 per army. So you can't do the free Rune of Lightning on one guy anymore. So, like, I think net it's probably still a buff, but you can't make this, like, overwhelming BSB build where he does the 3D3 strength for it. It'd be such bollocks. Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's, maybe that's a good change. Yeah, I, f- I think it's twenty good. points. Yeah, it's very good for twenty points, definitely. So, Do you remember Andy Cowan used to run that Andrew at the club. Yeah, it was called the Bye Bye Whatever Unit Andrew's playing. Immense <laughs> <laughs> like, Empire. It does horrendous things yeah. to like shit vampire infantry because you, so, yeah. you take all the wounds and you crumble. It's like, fuck's sake. Yeah. So I mean, I I think on the mid tables, dwarves will probably be a lot like more formidable after this update. But once again, like, will it win tournaments? You know, like it still doesn't move enough. You know, that's the that's still the (laughs) fundamental issue. God, you're converting, Casby. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Right. So if we leave dwarves there, then if there's not a huge amount to talk about, Cas, you want to talk about one of your other armies? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so let's do uh, Undying Dynasties because this, yeah, cool. I think, for me is, is this update has been really big. Like, not only in the second version did they get a lot cheaper in general, like not not as much as uh, maybe dwarves or or Sylvanels, but still, there's some units that really got significantly cheaper and and basically opened up new uh, or old maybe uh, builds that were harder to do. So uh, I think the standout is the skeleton chariots. They got like a little bit cheaper in general, but most of all the uh, scoring upgrade. So like the Legion Chariot went down by quite a lot. Let's see, it went down by. Let's see if I find the old thing here. Yeah, it went down by like two points per per chariot. Okay. So that's like a 14 point across the whole thing, and then they went down 15 points on base cost, and then additional point per model. So like in general, your your big chariot units uh, went down like maybe I don't know 30. 30, 35 points or so, uh, which I think really changes the the way it changes the way people will build the core and mm. probably back to more chariots that maybe had gone slightly out of fashion or if not gone out of fashion, been quite expensive. Uh, so that that's quite a big change, coupled with uh, with the fact that Crown of Autocracy changes builds quite a lot. Uh, I I get the feeling that we'll we'll be seeing UD do quite well uh, this next cycle. Okay. Uh, another big standout is the Sandstalkers, where the ambush went down like a lot in price. Like a unit of three ambushing Sandstalkers got 33 points uh, less expensive. So they currently clock in at 295, for four, which is like the, the just the spike potential of that unit is insane uh, for for that price. Like it's it's one of those I think we will have to see a lot more, and they just. You know, they skew matchups. Like, they just, some matchups with Sandstalkers go from being, like, very difficult for UD to being just, like, this person has to sit in the corner until they show up, essentially. Yeah, David, uh, David Bose has been chatting these guys up a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was using them before this because he thought they were going to be really good when they were, like, 300 points. So, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, so that, that this kind of stuff, I think for UD, uh, what's very like interesting at this update is that things that were already good got cheaper. Yeah, yeah why did the Colossus go down? Uh, so the Colossus everything went down. Yeah, every, yeah everything, everything went down essentially. But in the first update, basically the the paired weapons went up and the other options went down essentially. So so the paired weapons is the probably the the standout option for the Colossus, mm. which is now uh, maybe I think it stayed the same. 
price uh, with all the updates, uh, whereas the other options went down maybe ten points. So. Ah, right. Okay. So the pair, so, the best options, the same price. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. cool. That makes so sense. yeah, that's and I think for me, my my biggest, my favorite unit after this update is to uh, go uh, like you take a no mark on a chariot with the crown autocracy. So yeah. he get, he gives something marching, and then you can take a unit of seven chariots that are light troops. You give them a banner of speed. And then you give the uh, Nomark this item, which is called like Steeds of Nefebra or something, which gives them plus four march and ghost step. Oh my god. How fast is this unit cast? Yeah, so suddenly you have a march 16 light troop chariot star. Which uh, also automatically passes all DT tests and can can move over drain. How many points is that unit? Uh, so around uh, maybe 900 with the character, I would say. With the character, is 900 yeah. points. With with the character, yeah. Maybe a little bit more, like 920 or 30 or so. But... So that's kind of cool as well. With, with yeah. Spread, yeah, exactly. And it's it's I played it now. I've only played two games so far because I haven't had time to play more. But but it's so it's so dynamic. Like the fact that you can you you can really go somewhere and threaten something, and then if if people turn to face you, you're like, okay, I'll buy, you just leave, and yeah. you go 16 inches back, and you can still shoot pretty well, as well, because the unit, uh, you know, it's, since it's light troops, you can march and shoot, so. What's the uh, discipline of the mark? Eight? Uh, ooh, I think he might be nine. I'm not sure, maybe it's just eight. Wow, if he's nine, that's really good. Yeah, that's what I did find, actually, is that I Yeah, he's nine. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Even with nine, though, I, I noticed that I, I didn't really consider the fact that I would fail march tests, which happens sometimes. <laughs> but you, usually you're still fine. Like, even yeah. cause you can still move like nine inches or so. That's spicy. Okay. Yeah, I need to tell Bozzi about that. I don't think he's caught that one yet. <laughs> right, okay, so generally good stuff for, for UD, and you think yeah. this will this will actively help push them up the tables a little bit? I definitely think so. Like, we already saw them do quite well at the in the British scene. Uh, this year, I think. Yeah. So I, I do think that the next year will be quite a good year for UD. I do think UD are probably one of those armies that I think people are always quite good. They just they're yeah. not particularly popular, so the the die is kind of skewed. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. it was the, it was the same, you know, when they were OP. Like they were they were probably OP for quite a few like for quite a long time. Yeah. People just didn't <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> you know, me me included. Like I played them all the time, but I never really played like the builds that ended up to be the world destroying builds. <laughs> And it's kind of, I think it's the same now, where they, they are quite good, it's just, you know, people don't play them. Yeah. Okay, so good stuff for UD then. So Henry, do you want to talk us through one of your books? Yeah, I think the only one that I'm going to go through is High Elves. Yep. Yeah, oh, so sense. not so many changes in this. I think the biggest change to sort of, let's say, the netlist was the, the Master of Cranberry Tower lost a spell. I like this change, and I may or may not have suggested this change, but I was expecting it to come with a price decrease. <laughs> you were like it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit of, not a shock, but like, a, okay, well, it lost a spell, but I mean, you're still paying like 450 points for like a res 3 guy just waving a flag and having two spells. It's not really so good now. I think that's maybe a a good thing in overall balance and in the previous points changes a lot of the the honors went down in price so for now like you can get high warden of the flame for 60 points and a royal huntsman 15 points and a fleet officer for 20 points so i think that's quite that's promoting a lot of like foot bsb builds Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that I think that was some really good changes that they made in the last um, update. I think the Phoenix is something notable to talk about. Like it went up, I think, forty points or something base in the previous update. Yes. Both, yep. both the Frost Phoenix and the Fire Phoenix, and the Fire Phoenix was not taken ever. So in this one, they put it down twenty points. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure really what they're smoking, but. <laughs> Yeah, it was that was a bit of like a weird change because the Frost Phoenix was really good and that needed to go up and I think 350 for a Frost Phoenix is perhaps okay, but then why put the Fire Phoenix up 40 points and then reduce it 20? It just doesn't really make that much sense to me. Why is the Fire Phoenix not taken? Like I think the Fire Phoenix is really good. I think it's good as well, but I think it's just too expensive. I think if you play it with Warden's Bond, it's like 450 points or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. For 450 points, that's like. 30 Swordmasters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. But like, but it's also, it's so, I feel like it's such an all or nothing piece. Like, a, a good example is just, you play against Vermin Swarm, and it's a flamethrower that is uncapped on the number of hits for ranks. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, when I was faced it as Vermin Swarm, you're like, oh, this is a unit that if it touches anything I have, I just lose <laughs> the entire unit. Like, it's just, I don't know, I feel like it, from, it's from also experience. Just, from experience playing it, it doesn't work like that. Like you, you go over a unit and you've like, you're like, you've like moved and tried to maneuver and you're playing this maneuvering game and maybe it takes you like two turns and you finally sweep over the unit and you're like, oh, I'm gonna kill half a unit and then you kill half the unit and then they pass the panic test and you're like, ah, there's still like thirty rats there or there's still yeah, but... like twenty zombies and what did I actually kill like a hundred points or something and now I'm just you're better off charging the unit usually. I mean, I see your point, but I think I think that the, I guess this again is very specific for armor spawn, but it's the kind of thing where like below a certain number of rats, the unit is not fighting effective anymore because like yeah. when you go into combat against any elf unit, you lose somewhere between ten and twenty rats per turn. Well, that, well that's just it, right? Like if yeah. you're if you're flying over rats, you're not really it doesn't really matter because you you win the combat anyway. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess my, my point would be like, you know, I, so in this example, it was kind of extreme, but I had like 14 ranks or something in units. And like, <laughs> if, if he goes over that, like, it's just, you know, it's insane. 14 ranks? Yeah. Was this a slave unit? No, it was like a, a, a <laughs> it was, so this was before the, uh, the weapon that gives you grind attacks was capped at the number of grind attacks. I was like, I need all the ranks. <laughs> oh, I see, I see, I see. Give me 20 extra attacks. <laughs> yeah, this exactly. is the old Swarm Master build. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, I guess my point is that maybe if they redesigned the rule to be more like a flamethrower, uh, you know, like it's, you know, plus for just free ranks, they could put down the price. That was my point. Yeah, I think th- this is just something that will probably get redesigned when the lab comes around, and, yeah. and for me it's fine, but it's just a bit of a shame that you're not going to see them, because they're not really that price-effective. Um, the other change that I'll talk about is the Rhymanites. This was one of the things that the community was really keen on reducing the price of, and I think they're at a good points cost now that they become a bit more viable. Um, they went down a few points in the initial one and then the community asked again to put them down again a bit more because it still weren't really viable and now at 320 points for 5 and 35 points for additional models I think you're going to see more min size units of these and also more max size units so I think that that was quite a good change whether it's enough I don't know but it's definitely moving in the right direction 
And then I think the last thing I want to talk about is the the other thing that the community asked for was to reduce the price of protection of Dorak. And for those who don't know, which is probably everyone because you never see this item, the protection of Dorak is models on foot only, and it got reduced to 55 points in the last update. So it's five points more than Essence of Mithril. It's a heavy armor enchantment that gives you plus two armor and plus two defensive skill. And bear in mind, you have to be on foot. So you can't have a mount and you're a res 3 elf on foot. So for five points more than Essence of Mithril, you get one less armor save and plus two defensive skill. Uh, so that makes you what, defensive skill eight or? Eight if you're a, uh, like a hero level and nine if you're a lord level. Yeah, so that, that so if you're so that if you're eight, that means it's impactful against uh, offensive four, I guess, basically. Yeah. So it's it's a really good item, but it's it for me it needs to incentivize the foot characters a bit more. Like, great, like some of the honors got a bit cheaper, so that makes you want to take the characters more. But if you can't protect your characters on foot, then what's the point in? Investing in a BSB that's not a Master of Crime Rate Tower. That yeah. sounds like a worse version of the Glyph from the Sylvan outfit. Yeah, exactly, and it's and it's twenty points more. So, yeah. so I think this kind of speak this item not changing speaks to the overall issue with the High Elf book, which is the optimal way of playing this army is in a gun line and zoning, yeah. and you're not incentivized to take like combat characters on foot to make it a more interesting mix arms list because the items don't really incentivize you to do that like if, if this armor was models on foot only you get plus three armor and plus two defensive skill then okay now i've got a two up save and a high defensive skill so i can go and take a great weapon and a and a huntsman on it and have a cheap bsb build but with it being 55 points i find it difficult to see how i'm going to build a character around that something that i would like to add is that quite notably the Queen's Guard didn't change in price, which is like, I think, a staple for the gunline version yeah. of, of this army, which is kind of like a bit, as an, oppo- as an opponent, I'm a bit surprised, because I'd, I'd rather see them not put up prices for other things that promotes the army to actually fight you, rather than just, like, obliterating you from range, I guess. I, I agree. I think the Queen's Guard haven't received any attention this points update. They could have been a bit more expensive. Yeah, like, another thing the community was asking for was, okay, instead of having models on foot only, why don't you allow it for standard size models? Then you could have had it on a horse as well. Yeah. And that would also incentivize things like lancers that you don't see that often. I guess that would give them one up for right? Yeah, exactly. But then you have a, well, it's still a res 3, 3, yeah, yeah, character, yeah. right? And I think the, the glaring thing that happened in this overall change was the price of Seaguard. And I think this is this is also like a, an indicative of why the high elf book is so imbalanced in internally, is that so Seaguard are now 280 points for 15, and plus 27 points per model for extra models. <laughs> just, just to give you a comparison to another top tier book, which which I'll just use Warriors because that's what I've got up. If I look at Warriors. 10 models is 230 points, so 50 points less for 10, and each extra model is 20 points, compared to 27 for Seaguard. And bear in mind, Warriors only also need 20% core. I guess Seaguard are one of those units, though, in the game that get punished because they can do multiple things. 
Yeah, but the reason that they can do multiple things is because the Queen's Companion makes them quick to fire or the inner army, which is a gun line, and that's why people choose them. So yeah. the reason that they choose, that they put the points up is because they're chosen more often than other core units, but it's not because the Sea Guard are good, it's because the other ones are fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, as I said, it's just another example of when the project kind of penalises like the stuff that people like not because it's necessarily overpowered, but it's like what people want to play. It's like, well, don't don't penalize that. Make everything else better, type of thing. It's like, yeah. and fix the internal balance, fix the actual real issue. Mm-hmm. Don't just do the cosmetic change because that's not what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 exactly. I also feel like here, if they if their idea was to target gun lines, they just picked the wrong unit because the Sea Guard are, I mean, they're good, but like. You know, when you're facing a, a highborn elf gun line, the Sea Guard is not the unit that's like doing the most damage. I mean, that's the that's the Queen's Guard, but then the Sea Guard went up in points. So I I don't know. I feel I feel like that with that change was just like not not right in the right direction or the right. Yeah, place I think you get something like 24 Sea Guard for about 800 points. Fuck it out. Yeah, it's just it's insane. <laughs> like it's yeah, that it, that's more like the fact that there's a core tax, not the fact that that unit in itself is game breaking. Yeah, so I think I think this is kind of the similar side of issue that we talked about with Silver Elves. Like the, it's more about the fact that they need to change the rules of certain units rather than changing the points. I mean, the points the points help to an extent, but it's actually the internal balance that needs updating, and that's not going to come from points. I was just going to ask, did the bolt draw change in points? Uh, I think it maybe went up ten points. Let me just check. Yeah, yeah it went up the... to hundred ninety. Okay. Going by that again, that video that Caps did, um, the way he was talking about it in terms of how they use the data is that they basically put all their data into a spreadsheet and it produces a kind of point allocation on how popular a unit is, how often it's taken. And they've got an idea of what they want that point allocation to be for items and units. And if it's a little bit under, then they look at that and try and give it a points and, uh, sorry, a points deduction. It's a bit over, then they try and nerf it. And I can see why they do that, because it is, at the end of the day, a small team trying to cover a lot of ground. The problem is is that I think they, they do, they sometimes lose... They don't have the, the perspective that you were talking about, Henry, for a book-to-book basis a lot of the time. And they can't highlight issues like this, because the data is telling them that, well, everyone's taking C-cards, so they must be too good. So they, they need to have a, per, a price increase. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's... It's it's a good approach to an extent, but it's not really the best way of doing it, and it and it kind of comes out with some of these like weird skews. Yeah, I mean, I, I should say that they they do try and go in and check this, but you know, it is a small team at the end of the day; they they can't do it all. But I, I just when I was listening to to Caps explain this in the video, it, it just made perfect sense into some of the patterns that we've seen previously about how they implement points changes, because it's quite clear that that's how they're doing it. So obviously when you're doing these, right, they're obviously the ACS talk to the community and say, you know, what three things would you like to change points-wise? And then they take all that information and then they, they, they take the choices to people that make these decisions. When they go through all the books, I don't know if they talked about this, Andrew, in this uh, interview with CAPS, but when they make the changes, do they then go back to the ACS and say, this is what we're thinking of doing, what's your input on this points change? Or is well, it just, we've taken in your input, now we're going to run with it? I think they run with it, and that's why you have the second round of, of changes, because then it goes out to the community, and then the ACS report back on that. 
but then there's more points changes now than there was in the first change. Yeah, right? I guess. So but I think why not do the other way around? Well, I think, but, but this isn't the first time this has happened either, where the first points changes have either been very conservative or very focused, and in the second batch have been far more broad brush. Like, this is almost exactly what happened last year. It's, it, it's actually worse than it was last year because of the, the bread that they've applied this year. Yeah, but I think also, like, to me, this year it seems like they've taken to heart a lot of critiques people have had where it's like, you know, what uh, the usual refrain you hear is like, oh, these, like, one or two points is not going to matter, it doesn't change the... Yeah meta and whatever and now it's it's kind of like uh, okay let's let's make these kind of broad like non-focus changes where you know like you don't you don't make one unit lot better you just make you know every unit in the silver uh, army a little bit cheaper to see if you can affect balance in that way yeah so maybe it's also a little bit of an experiment for this year yeah i, I think that's exactly what it is and to be fair i'm not quite a brave uh, choice especially for our, uh, like a game like nine Tech. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced it's going to shake it up to the extent that we want it, but I think it's good to see, especially because, you know, think about some previous updates where it's been, you know, ultra conservative in terms of what they've tried to do, and it hasn't really, it's been a waste of an update, to be honest, we've not done yeah. anything with it. Yeah, the, the first few years of these updates, I think, were, were very, like, almost nothing changed, really. Yeah. Yeah, just to, just to continue my Seaguard rant. <laughs> you, okay, can we get, done. you can get you can get twenty twenty sea guard and full oh, command no, the for the same price as you can get eighteen warriors and full command. You can't compare army books, Henry. <laughs> You're on the Shadow Council. You should know better. Exactly. Well, I, I can still give him feedback. Like it's <laughs> like I think that's I think that's really important to be able to like say like give him, give feedback and and I think it's it's part of the process. Like if 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 everyone says oh yeah it's great like. Everyone's sucking each other's dicks, then it's <laughs> nothing's going to get changed in the right way. Henry, you better watch. You're going to get a mod on you. Everybody's completely <laughs> satisfied, though. Like that's the important part. Yeah, it's like, is it a good, good, good blowy or a bad blowy? <laughs> no one wants bad, bad blowy. blowy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just to just to sum up the high elves. Yeah, I think I think they've they've done what they achieved to do in that they think high elf is a high a high tier book, and. I don't, and obviously the the points have not been as favourable changes for the high elves. I think there's a lot of things in the army that are quite overcosted still, and hopefully that's ironed out in the future. But I think also they're taking small steps, but in the right direction on, on a lot of things to to improve the internal balance. So that's okay. So the ha- so we're 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 ranking highborn elf changes as a bad blowy. So bad blowies and good blowies. This is this is the new <laughs> rating system yeah. going that's, forward. I, I approve of this. So, Andrew, do you want to talk about one of your books? Yeah. And, and more I, importantly, what kind of blowy? Well, I think, I think both my, well, I'll talk about, I'll talk about both the books because one of them will be very short. So a quick but satisfying blowy, I think this would be the Empire book. Um, <laughs> but generally, um, like, like books in this bracket, things went down. The, there were slight tweaks to things like, uh, the stank is probably the big one. It went up. Uh, to 500 points. Good. Um, but yeah, but like, the, the, this is the issue with the stank. It's such, it's still such a crutch for the Empire book. You're still um, going to take it at 500 oh, points. Oh, yeah, 100%. And actually, I, I don't think there was, I, I, there's people complaining about it, but see if you compare that 500 point bracket. So stuff like Shriek and Horror is 510, Gortax about 500. All like the big impact monsters are about that price range. 
So actually, I think still at uh, 500 points, the Steam Tank's still a bargain for what it does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could probably. If, be if it was, if it was 550, you'd still take. If it was 600, you'd be like, mm, it's, it's probably still worth it to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So generally, you know, very much it matches the kind of flow. Um, I think the big changes for Empire in terms of units is the Chicken Knights, the Knights of Sun uh, Griffin. I've gone down significantly across the two, the two updates. So the the additional knights went from seventy five points per model to fifty nine points per model. What? Um, that's, a, that's a that's a good sloppy blowy there. That, that's, a, <laughs> that's a cup in the balls kind of. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, Rusty trombone, if we ever want one. Oh god. Um, that's a whole other category. Right? That's a whole other category. <laughs> that's, that's a third category. God, I can't get that out of my head now. Uh, <laughs> Just imagine that with my Irish uh, onesie on. Oh god. Why, why have I got a boner? It's so confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I think it's good. The other big change for the Empire was that the Imperial Guard with Great Weapons got a bit of a buff, which, um, again, is good because that they were very expensive for what they were. The The concern I have is that that unit was was still really good, despite the fact it was expensive, so this might just make you know it more common, but um, I guess we'll need to wait and see. But really, the Empire book was like, actually very similar to what Kaz was saying about the dwarves. Pretty, you know, standard across the field, but the big changes obviously being the, the knights and the stank, but I think both of them are, are justified, because the knights, the knights of Sun Griffin are still very expensive for what they are. Where is uh, the Empire book in that tier list? It's basically right in the middle. Um, let me check. It was eight, yeah. Okay, well, that's fair. I think it's fair as well. I mean, I think the Empire book is good. The, the problem is that the way that it's competitive, i.e. The, the way that it gets its best results, is pretty boring. Mm. Uh, kind of what Henry was saying about high elves, really. But there's there's like one or... There's really one build. People try and lie to themselves to, to say that there's a second build, nice and stuff, but it's not good. The, the heavy shooting kind of build is is definitely the best. I, I don't think this will change for Empire. I think they're still mid-tier book, but I think the changes are pretty good. So I saw a solid boy there. So the, vampire, the Vampire book. I'll caveat what I'm about to say by saying that every entry in the Vampire book bar direwolves went down in points. <laughs> is this, are we in rusty trombone territory now? Well, <laughs> this is like a I don't know. I don't know what the, the, the blue was of this. <laughs> like, it's happening, and then she pokes you in the eye, or he pokes you in the eye. What eye? With her finger. Ooh. Uh, no, with her finger. Your actual eyeball. Oh, right. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, that's, not, that's not what we it's, were imagining. It's, it's not nice. I think the changes are obviously good, and generally vampires would get buffed because every unit went down. Because of, again, the landscape of the changes, I don't think it's going to make that big a difference. There was a couple of annoying changes as well, uh, like Strigoi vampires lost the ability to vanguard with ghouls because some fucking bellend was spamming courts, uh, counts and courtiers uh, Strigoi. He was taking like six of the fuckers. So now we can't have nice things. And it just, like, it's so <laughs> reminiscent of the Jim Jeffries joke about drink driving that now none of us can drink drive because fucking Susan ran over some kids once and she's ruined <laughs> it for everyone. <laughs> So uh, that's like frustrating. I was probably only one of two people <laughs> playing Stradoy, and so I may be a bit more kind of salty about it. Uh, I spoke quite a lot with Mikey Newman about it, and he was explaining it all. He very kindly wasted time talking to me about it, <laughs> me trying to convince him that it was a bad change. 
I can understand where they're coming from. They basically don't want Vanguard and Death Stars in the game, and they've made the decision that that would never have survived LAB anyway, so they might as well change it now. And Strigoi did go down significantly in points across the, the update. I'd, I'd probably argue that they need to go down a little bit more because of that change, but maybe I'm biased. But anyway, um, I think it was a good change across the board for Vampires. There's some big air changes, um, like Counts got quite a significant points decrease. Von Karstein went from costing 10 points to being 3 for a bloodline. Varkalak 325 lost Var- 20 points. Yeah, Varkalak uh, 325. This is really big because it allows you now to play 3 Varkalaks and a Dragon. Ooh, hello. Which I is, need to, need to get I'm going to just throw this out right now. I'm pretty sure if you... And no one's going to do this, so just take my word for it. But if you go back and listen to some old episodes of Madkit, we actually have on record Andrew saying that Varkalaks are slightly too cheap. So the fact that they take a price dip... I don't I don't understand why vampire players don't like Varkalaks. Because they're really great. Good. Yeah, they're really good. The the one issue that Varkalaks have that isn't really an issue is that they tend to operate too far away because of the vanguard. They're so fast. <laughs> so like the rest of your like, skellies are like, wait up, lads. Um, but that's not really that much of an issue, to be honest. You don't have to vanguard them away. So the Varkalax went down as a big change. Barrowguard got a bit cheaper, which is good because they were quite expensive. And then basically everything else in the book got between a, a 5 and 15 point decrease. Uh, race got a little bit cheaper, which was good to see because they were very expensive still. So yeah, I think it's a very good, it's a good update for vampires. I don't think it's going to drastically impact where they're finishing, but I'd love to be wrong. So is this what you're going to run now? You can't do the Vanguard and Strigoi bollocks. You're going to take a dragon and a few Varkalaks. Oh, you're fucking right, I am. Yeah. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, so spicy. I'm annoyed that I can't play it this month in the league because we've already submitted our list. <laughs> so yeah, so Empire and Vampire is both solid bullies. That's like a deep throat blowy right there. <laughs> We're going to have to have a, our own tier system of blowies. Exactly. It's a whole other kind of worms. Mm. Deep throat blurry with a finger in the bum. And then the bottom one is like... Don't let us suck at your And then that's the top, and then the bottom is like a like a toothy blowy from a, someone with like herpes. <laughs> oh, that's rough. And that's at the bottom of the category? Yeah. Okay, right. Just so we're clear. Okay. A herpes <laughs> Cool, so that's Henry and I have kind of covered our armies. Uh, Paul, do you want to talk about ogres or, or warriors? I mean, I'll briefly just say ogres seem to do really well in this. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> like, Ken Eaters went down. Don't know why they got cheaper. Merc Vets went down. The, the Firebrand change is interesting. So Firebrand is the big name that allows you to in addition to a whole bunch of other shit, basically get Fireball on top of your other spells. So you can kind of think of it as like a better Erblin, but it was cheaper points. You knew Fireball if you took Pyromancy, um, in addition to the other things that it gave you. So it was really good. Now they've changed it so that you get Fireball, you get Fireball, but only as a bounce spell. Um, so yeah, it's still, it's still really good. You still take it, but it's not quite as strong. It's just been able but, to cast but it. Now, but now, Paul, you can cast Fireball and have Fireball as a spell because it's replicable. Yeah. Yeah, you could do. You could do. But like, I think certainly <laughs> the way I used the way I used to build the the list was I thought of it as a cheaper heirloom to save points, so I wasn't taking like heirloom on top of that. So like, I think if I was doing that, then I would want heirloom as well. So I could have still have like the two Fireballs, 
the hereditary and then my other spells just for variety because as i say i think pyromancy suffers from just being very one-dimensional and so it kind of promotes a certain play style that... yeah, but think, think about it paul you can cast fireball and fireball and get two attributes <laughs> well yeah because against someone else that's really good right yeah exactly but yeah, uh, generally ogres did really well. Like fucking war machines went down. Like, don't really know why. I would have assumed that ogres would have been more like warriors, and that the point changes would have been a little bit more like conservative. Like, uh, why did bombardiers go down? Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's don't just know. like a huge chunk of life fish community who play ogres, but I have absolutely no idea what they're doing. That's why. <laughs> <That's laughs> <my theory. laughs> some of the shooting some, went down. Some people could say that for dwarves, though. No. Yeah, definitely. That's why. I mean, that's why I jumped on dwarves. Definitely. <laughs> like, um, like yeah. how do you lose with sixty? Like, if you play seventy-five seekers, I don't know. <laughs> so good. He can't um, ask any questions. <laughs> does anyone? Did anyone hear anything about why ogres got so many buffs in this update? Because I would have thought they were like one of the, but maybe not like top well, five, we'll, we'll but like almost number six, right? Yeah. So, like, why? Why did they need these changes? Because they're mid tier. Yeah, in, in that middle tier. But I mean, for me, for me, I thought ogres were more in the top tier than the middle tier. Personally, I would I agree remember, with that. I remember there was a thing. They said something when they released the first tier list that like there was a huge gap between like in their data between like I don't know which number it was like four or five or five and six or something. So mm. it might be the case that that according to them they think ogres is number six, but maybe like the the mid tier chunk is all like really close to each other or something like that. Certain things went down that I think were good, like Tusker Cow, I think, were too expensive. So, you know, they've gotten a little bit cheaper, which I think is good. But, like, as you say, I don't know why Bombardiers went down. I don't know why Kinniers went down. And or, okay, we've, all, we've all played against the Cancer, which is, like, the 18 Bombardiers and all the shooting. Yeah, that's actually... I looked at the Art of War lists uh, for Bristol that's coming up, and I think there's, like, two or three of our lists that are running, like, at least two units of six, if not more Bombardiers. Wait. Yeah. Can we talk about Merrick Fets? Yeah, because I, they also went down in the first update. They used to be 235, and yeah. now they're 220, so they went yeah. down 15 points base, and additional models, mm-hmm. and great weapons went down, but the shooting went up, and the Iron Fist went up, which is okay, but then still they got a lot cheaper. I don't know why, I mean, I've never seen people, I don't know if it's different where you guys are, but have you ever seen people run great weapons on Merrick Fets? No. Yeah, so I think you could drop that as much as you want and no one's taking it. Because yeah. everyone takes yeah. a block of Merc Vets and a coat. Well, well, that's why there's a difference between a Great Weapon costing 3 points per model and an Iron Fist costing 16 points per model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like a, a, a points change that doesn't matter because no one's going to take it anyway. Yeah, like I the Great Weapon thing. Like, um, free. <laughs> someone might take it then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. They still work out as cheaper though, right? Across the updates. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, as you say, they came down in base cost and additional models. Even even the shooting ones went um, down. Yeah. 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 I have to say, this one I don't get. Like it's <laughs> unless it's like a unit of eight, and it went up a bit. But but then like surely merfets are popular in the data. Like this is one of the ones I don't really understand. And that if they unless it's simply because ogres they felt were in that mid tier, so they they didn't deserve to be nerfed per se. Because surely that's a popular unit. It's one of the cookie cutter builds, right? You take a big block of Merc Vets and you take a Snoke out, and that's like the backbone of the 
of a lot of lists. It's <laughs> like, like playing the game like Brady. <laughs> yeah, Craigslist that he's ran for like five years that he never changes. That's his list. <laughs> so yeah, I don't really know why those things came down. As I say, the, the couple of units in the, the game that, or like the one certainly that stands out to me that I'm glad came down was the Tusker card, but everything else I'm just a bit like, meh. Like Yetis came down a little bit. Okay, cool. I don't have a problem with that, but like, I don't know why Bombardiers came down. I don't know why the War Machines came down, because I know a lot of people have an issue with the Ogres War Machines. Yeah, like, just just another, another core comparison. <laughs> Sorry, go for it. Is this, so is see, this, are we comparing with Highboard again? <laughs> see, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, like 480 points for 20? Yeah. Or you can get seven bruises and full command for 490 points. Fucking hell, that's pretty good. That's ridiculously good. And tribesmen are even cheaper. I haven't actually looked at any lists, so I don't know if the fact that the, the, they've obviously made the two like main core units cheaper, which means that when you're saving points, you're going to have to put some of those savings back into core. So maybe it won't make too much of a difference, but as I say, there's still a lot of like changes across other units that is surprising. So yeah, it's it's mostly down, right? Like, yeah. So you, okay. you can get you can get ten tribesmen and four commands. <laughs> ten tribesmen. And four We're gonna hang up like the price of twenty seagulls. Comparing everything with how else. <laughs> I mean, like he's just channeling the energy. Can you start a thread, Henry? I want a thread and it's just like high, like Seaguard comparisons in every like comment it's just a different one we're going to have to have Henry back next time just to talk for an assault mine he's like right it's a fucking Seaguard right I've done the maths right <laughs> there was actually quite an interesting post on the forum today which was comparing like wizard flying wizard adepts and like comparing the yeah. mage on the adept dragon to like all the other wizards Adepts in the game, which can fly like the Infernal Dwarf one, the new KOE one, like a Revenant Vampire yeah. one, and the High Elf one is like 130 points more expensive than all the others. Henry, I hate to say this, but I feel like you're like becoming the epitome of the Highborn Elf forum that has for a long time been held up as the whiniest <laughs> forum. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just stating, de- stating facts. So, you you know. gotta get out there, man. You gotta start playing other shit. You gotta get well, these fucking. I was, I was on Dread Elves, and then I got fed up with Dread Elves, so now I'm back on the whiny elves, and uh, I've, now I've got an outlet for it because I can't do it on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't shit with you, I guess. <laughs> okay, so generally good for ogres. Do we think that that's going to be? Is, is this going to help push ogres up if they if they needed to push up those? Yeah, I think so. I, okay. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be start winning games that they otherwise would have lost, but it's not certainly not making them any weaker. And yeah. I, I would agree that they were definitely in the top like six books for sure. Okay, cool. Right before we talk about, because uh, I wanted I wanted to get your thoughts on the the big three, or in my mind the big three, them being warriors, demons, and an ID. But before we do that, Kaz, do you want to explain what the fuck is going on in the Vermin book? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, there's there's a, a lot going on in the war. <laughs> I can't say because I think uh, in the, coupled with the first uh, balance change around Christmas, they did like basically a, a like a design update for for the Vermis Worm. So I'm not gonna talk about everything, but there's some like really significant changes to how the army functions. Okay. Uh, so 
uh, at the very base level, the eagle standard, so the, the buff that each unit with like a flag gives around itself for the minimized and reroll, like the mini BSB thing, yep. it has gone from 6 inches to 8 inches around each unit. So essentially your be- your bubble you know, that you cover the table will get much bigger, but also it's much easier to place units. And I think really significantly you can now place a unit within rerolls but outside of panic range. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. And I, I think that's really massive for, for making it possible to play some units that previously were kind of a liability. If they, you know, if they got died, they would cost you panic tests on a big unit that yeah. to be like way too important. Then the other really big change is that the dictator has uh, changed how it functions. So what it does currently is that in its inspiring presence, it gives unstable, which it did before. Uh, that unstable is now conditional on the fact that you are steadfast. So if you have like a small unit, you can no longer like kind of chaff people with small units and have them be unstable and like stick on a wound or so. Uh, uh, but okay. But what the, the even more significant change is that he now gives fearless to everybody in his bubble. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah. <laughs> so now it's go. He's gone from like being the like disciplined liability general to being just the like. Well, everybody who's close to me doesn't give a shit about your fucking fireballs or your spells <laughs> or anything. Like, so <laughs> this really like really changes the way the army plays. I think if you if you buy the dictator like. Bef- before, when you bought the Dictator, I think he was more like a... He's just like a more sta- stable way of fighting combats. Like, you would grind better because you you were unstable instead of having to roll discipline tests, essentially. Uh, but he was really weak to terror and fear. Uh, whereas now it's the it's like the other way around, where he's extremely stable against terror and fear, but then as soon as you lose Steadfast, uh, you it's much more uh, devastating than it is with a Senator, I think. Okay. Uh, and you will lose it faster because you grind. You grind uh, like your guys. You lose guys much faster because you lose every round. Every time you lose combat, you lose more guys, of course. Uh, so, so to me, this is really interesting uh, because it changes the kind of lists you can build. Uh, because you can now build more lists that are more similar to what you would have seen in the Slim bo- uh, book, I think, with uh, you know more single models, maybe more uh, small units that before weren't viable because they didn't have a discipline to really stay around for anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas now they're fearless, so like playing uh, weapon teams or uh, grenadiers or something like that will, uh, you know, like you don't have this issue of having these units kind of uh, cascade themselves when they start to panic. Yeah. So so I think that's, to me, is, is, a, is a really cool change. Like I enjoy it, but I don't know if it will stay because it also makes lots of people really angry because it's fearless. So I don't know. I mean, it's still capped at discipline six, though, right? Yeah, exactly. But but you don't have to take a discipline test if you're in the bubble, unless you uh, lose, unless you're not steadfast. In combat, yeah. I don't yeah. know how I feel about that. Yeah, like I I'm not sure either. Like t- to be honest, but uh, but I do think that it's good for list variety because I think what we saw before was like the the way to build a vermisworn list was like take as just a few really big blocks. And nothing that could cause a panic test to those blocks. Yeah. And so it was just like, you know, uh, you take your disciples or your uh, brutes plus your core u- units and then uh, sprinkle in your characters and you just kind of push it into somebody's base. Yeah. And if you have a dictator or you had a senator, it didn't really change how you played the game as such. Whereas now it's like completely different, but yeah. depending on which genre you take. Okay. 
So, so I would say that's the really big one. Then there's been like there's been lots of small, smaller ones like uh, the uh, Doom Spark devices uh, now have like quite a powerful. Uh, like in the beginning, they they did these. Uh, so they're the previous dreadmills, and they they did this like uh, attack where they hit every unit around them, and they still have that. But now they also have like a single shot ranged attack, which is like a 12 inch range attack, but it's like essentially like a boosted hand of heaven. If they shoot it, they do d6 plus 1 hits with d6 plus 1 strength, which is super powerful. And they can march and shoot, so their threat range is 22 inches. They they do need to, so they march 10 and shoot 12. So 12 is quite close, but still, like, it's it's really, really powerful for a unit that's like 200 points or something. Yeah. So I think overall, it's the the book, I think, is... It's gotten, probably gotten better in the update, but it's also, like, a lot of its design changes, so so it's kind of difficult to say like the the normal uh, legionaries got worse they lost one instance of fighting extra rank uh, so the fighting prowess is, is a little bit less maybe than it was before so yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see the doom blade is no longer ap10 it's only ap3 so uh, so that's, that's a, a big, yeah it's a big change which is is probably good because it's before it was just good against everything right whereas now mm. it's it's more focused on killing monsters and stuff like that it, it's still a bit like crazy is it still d6 wins yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, still okay. uh, so the doomspark device hits automatically uh, i think so yes i believe that's the case that's good yeah it's really, <laughs> really good like the like taking free doomspark Star devices it's not not a bad shout i think is this rusty trombone uh, territory we're talking about here? <laughs> no, I, I think it's like the design changes are good, but like the it's things have gotten more expensive. Like, uh, and so, like it's not you know it's it's not all positives. But uh, I for me, I, to be fair, I think I said this uh, on our podcast before. But like at the end of last year, we had just played the Smith F thing, where I taking kind of a more fluffy list, and I just got got my shit pushed in in every game. <laughs> like, I think I played in total 20 Vermisworm games, and I had won two of them, and I was just like, I was I was just ready to say, okay, this lab is not for me, I don't, I like it, I don't want to do it anymore, I'm not having fun, uh, but but this update has really made me like, interested to play more. Okay, that's cool. Like, as a, when did the Vermisworm actually come out? Like, when did this lab drop originally? Can anyone remember exactly? Uh, summer? Yeah, or... I can't remember. Looking at these changes, like as you say, a lot of the changes are actual design changes rather than points changes. There are a lot of points changes as well, but there's this has got to be. Does this have the most design changes of any other book? Uh, not, not no, nowhere near compared to ID. I think. Uh, Fuck's like, sake, ID. Yeah. I think this is still <laughs> like it maybe it was more like autumn than the summer. I'm not sure, but I think this is still only the second round of like really design changes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I mean, it's this, still alpha, right? So, yeah. So. Okay, so this doesn't, you don't look at this as a, a Vermisworm player and like get really frustrated that this, the changes are still quite sweeping. No, I, I don't think so personally. I mean, mostly because, I mean, I, I thought the book wasn't that fun to play before. So, okay. so, so I, I, I'm happy that things are changing, specifically with the discipline mechanics, because it was very, like, or it probably still is in some aspects, but like very all or nothing kind of thing where, you know, like you have, you have one bad roll and then suddenly everything goes to shit. So. While we've got you guys on the podcast, just a general question about like the whole like alpha release. Do you think that's quite a good thing generally for the for the labs, uh, as an alternative to keeping it in internal playtesting for longer before it drops to the public? Yeah, I I think it's uh, I I like it. I think it's good process. 
personally because I think getting getting it out to the community obviously we want to everyone wants to make everyone happy and, and if we can so getting out to the community and getting feedback from the community I think is really important and also obviously the playtesting team is only so many people so yeah, it's quite small really yeah, and I think also getting like a wider range of results is also good to see what the overall power level is. So yeah, I think it's a good idea to get the alpha out, so long as people are on the un- understanding that it is an alpha and it can change and will change. Yeah, you agree, Cass? As yeah, a I, player? I, definitely. I, I mean, I would rather like us pump out like the new stuff faster because like like more than things being unbalanced or not working well, I think it a much more an important criticism of the project previously to this kind of release schedule was that it was just going too slow. Yeah. And I mean, especially with with you know other competitors in the market coming up, like it's it's it seems like uh, you, we kind of do need to get through all the books so we can also consider like what about doing a three point zero like changing the war machines for example. Generally good for Vermin then. I think um, so. Yeah. In my in my opinion, yeah. What, what sort of blowjob? So I would say it's like. Um, it's like it's it's you know it's it's like a it's like the a good one that you get often kind of thing. It's not like it's, it's like the it's like a, you know it's all reliable. Yeah. Wow. I love how you're really tapping into personal experience here. <laughs> that would give us some genuine consideration. That was that's the best answer so far. Um, ye old reliable blowjob. Ye old reliable. Um. Okay, right. So, I mean, that's that's kind of gone through um, all the armies that we were playing just now. Can I just point out? I think my favorite change in the whole whole of the balance changes, and it's not Seaguard. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Orcs and Goblins book made a really cool change because obviously, with the Crown of Autocracy being changed to not giving possible discipline anymore. Yeah, I think there was an element of the community that were playing all Goblin lists. Yeah. Obviously, you can't really play a goblin list when your character is like discipline, like two or whatever. So I mean eight, but yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) This was such a non-issue. I fucking hate this. They've given uh, like the goblin king discipline nine for the general. If you have no other orcs in orc characters in your army, I think that's quite quite cool. I don't know if it's fluffy. I don't know if it's fluffy, but it's free. So maybe that's a bit good, but <laughs> I think it's quite cool. Yeah. Just the just the fact that they've thought about people who maybe are playing fluffy lists and playing all goblins. Yeah, I agree. I think there was also like uh, like it, I feel like the removing chronotocracy was like a unintended consequence was making goblin lists like less less viable because they're already absolute shit. So yeah, I think it was like a fun little thing to add to the book. I mean, I, you can imagine this is going to be a big area for the LAB, right? Given the yeah, I mean, it's, it's upcoming, right? So yeah, I guess this lets them like I don't mind seeing this kind of thing either of them like testing ideas, so they know that Orcs and Goblins is going to get LAB soon. So why not use this update to test, you know, a couple of things that they're thinking about? So I don't, yeah. I don't think that's a consideration, but yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it should be fucking. <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. Um, right, so. Let's talk about the the kind of big three before we wrap up then. So I think it's fair to say that Warriors and Demons were the two top dogs um, across the globe. I would probably argue that Infernal Dwarves were there or thereabouts 
as well. Um, that would and obviously, be three, yeah. yeah, I think they'd be most people's top three unless you're on rules team, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about them because obviously going through their changes compared to the other books is it, well, at first appearance, uh, it looks quite stark in terms of quite a lot of stuff went up in points, and there's not the sea of green that we saw when we're looking at like the Sylvan Elves or, or vampires. Is this going to be enough to really threaten their dominance? And I use the word dominance because I, I generally do think we're at a stage just now where these three armies are pretty dominant across metas. So is this going to be enough to, to change that? I think the warriors changes are meh. Just like whatever. I don't think that's going to change anything. I think it's yeah. going to change certain list builds, like. But I, I agree. Like the thing with the warrior book, right, is that everything in the book is good. So you can essentially just like make a list of random stuff and push it into people's face and win. Like it's not. Yeah, it's like it's it. It's, or rather, like you know, you will have that. You'll you'll win three games big in a tournament and lose two games not too badly and still plays really well, basically. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe not. Uh, I guess. But I don't know about demons that much. Uh, I like it's, it's to me that's a, that book is still a little bit of a mystery. Uh, I'd say. Yeah, still like I, I was better because I went through a period of playing against demons quite a lot in like the league and things like that. But I'm now like, what the fuck is a divining snout? Like I don't know what that is. <laughs> is is that good that it's gone up in points? Like I don't know. <laughs> so I'm a bit the same. But there's quite a lot just looking at the demons book generally. Um, there's, I mean, there's stuff like bloatflies going up quite significantly and things like that that you know you can spot. Um, the the demon one definitely seems worse for them than the warriors one seems for them, and the ID one as well actually because I, I don't think the ID ones. There's certain things that have gone up, but overall I don't really think the ID one hurts them that much. And I I, I do think that there's this uh, I don't know how true it is, but there's definitely a perception that the issue with the warrior book has been. More uh, the like monster uh, builds and like like single model builds uh, than uh, than perhaps other units in the book. And I think they really, if that's the case, then we would probably see a difference in results for warriors because they quite heavily punished uh, that stuff with the new uh, monster organization. Yeah, well, you just can't do the same sort of lists anymore, can you? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was I was playing with Alex and he hadn't seen the update and he sent me a list. I was like. Dude, like you're allowed like six points in monsters, and you sent me a list with eleven. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. It's like, well, it's changed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but then, then again, so like, a, so an example that I usually uh, take here in the Bavarian community where I live right now is that we have this running like one day tournament, and this one guy he won it twice in a row, I think, with a warrior list pre pre update, of course. And the warrior list was like two Chimera Lords, two Feldark Elders, and just stuff. Like, you know, whatever else was in the list didn't matter, because those four moles killed anything, you know? And and it was kind of like, I think you can still run that. Like, yeah. I, I think the Chimera Lords won uh, points, so that's two, and then two each for the Feldark Elders. So yeah. I'm unsure if then in the end it will actually change stuff. It's just that you can't do the absolutely insane things like Craig Johnson did at, uh, at Tech, for example. Uh, but you, I mean, if you want to run single balls, you can still do four insanely powerful single balls in that list, for example. Yeah, yeah, uh, that is a that is supposedly one of the playstyles that the book should be able to do according to the guidelines yeah, that's as true. well, right? It's like that they should be one of the books that have really powerful single characters and 
single models. Yeah, but I guess I guess to, in my opinion then it's like that list's effectiveness doesn't really change based on those things going up or down in points because like you drop a few I don't know what like warriors or whatever else was in that list that doesn't really matter that much, you know? Yeah, and to be honest, like for me I would rather like the power level of the warriors book stayed what it was and everything else got to that point rather than trying to bring them down to where everything else is. Because I think one of the good things in the Warrior book is like the internal balance, because a lot yeah, of the options are, are good, right? It's kind of like what we've said about the Vampire book, that the problems with the Vampire book aren't necessarily about internal balance, because it's, it's a big no. book with a lot of stuff in there, and a lot of the stuff is good. So I think like if you could get all the other books to the point where the Warrior's book is, then it would be more fun for everybody, because then you'd have better options for your army that was that would be more competitive. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's it's just based on how the game functions. Like, I think the reason Warriors and, and Demons are the two top books is because they are really aggressive and really fast. Mm, yeah. And that's, like, if you want to win tournaments, you need to play aggressive lists because, you yeah. know, like, you, you more often than not end up with better results than playing defensively. And movement is the most important part of the game, right? So so they, like, tick those two boxes. And, I mean, that's why they're at the top, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Henry, when are you going to fix the whole fucking single model yeah, issue? Jesus. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Stop counting up comparisons for a fucking sea <laughs> guard, right? And get the finger out and start solving the issues that the people want. Well, it, I mean, Casimir's just said that if you want to win tournaments, you've got to play fast and aggressive. And I don't think you really play fast and aggressive with sea guard, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're basically just dwarfs with longer legs, I guess. <laughs> but they're not res. They're not res four, and they're not four up save. Yeah, I mean that's because you're too high off the ground. You know, like you just you don't have a good stable base. <laughs> Need a lower centre of gravity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to push you over. <laughs> so, so one thing I'd like to talk about with the warriors, actually, which I find really interesting in relation to like how they do these uh, balance changes, mm. is that I think the rules team, uh, or like the people who do the data analysis, at least. They have info on how often units are taken, yeah. but they don't really have a lot of granular info on, like, for example, what options are taken. And this was really highlighted to me by one of my friends here in, in uh, Bavaria. Is uh, I think his form name is like Laconas or something like this. He's oh, a yeah. Yeah. warrior's support. A really nice guy, and he he's like you know, a big info for the warriors. So. He decided to actually do like an analysis on like the core warriors specifically on what options are actually taken to try to motivate like you know if they should have a price decrease or increase for for whatever, and like he compiled like by hand something like 300 lists or something from different tournaments uh, over the year, and there's this perception that like halberds for example is a really good option that's why they previously cost like six points a mall. And he find, found that over all these lists he compiled, there was like 2% of war units took halberds. Because, like, the only like thing that you ever see on war units is them with, uh, like, uh, what's it called, uh, Lust Favor and Ham Weapon Shield. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it was, so, it was insane when he showed me his data. It's like, during last year, like, 70% of all warriors units had this, like, had this type of thing, and it really shows that there, like, there's a lot of things in our, in how they do the pricing, which is just based on feeling rather than any like kind of hard data. And if I find it really nice that we then saw a decrease in these things that he was able to show, uh, for example, halberds and grape weapons went each down by two points for warrior units because 
he was able to show that nobody almost ever takes any of these options because they're just too expensive. The, the lust didn't go up. Uh, it went up in the first uh, update, not in mm-hmm. the second one. I mean, that's why that those Lust Warriors, the, you know, the 10-man sticks to Lust Warriors, were so popular. It was because they were so comparatively cheap to the other options. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And now yeah. now I think it really is like an option to, to take a war unit with Halberds and Envy or some other favor, right? Like, uh, it's still quite expensive. Like, uh, I think he suggested it to go down a lot more, of course, because he's obviously a bit biased, right? <laughs> But I, I found it was, it was kind of interesting just to see how stark it was. Like, just the fact that in tournaments across Europe or whatever, like, 2% had this upgrade. And you're like, okay, uh, maybe it's too expensive. Hmm. Okay, right. So, to kind of pull together final thoughts then, who do we think are the big winners and losers from this then? Do we think that that tier list is going to remain more or less intact? Is there any any of the armies that we've spoken about or any of the armies that we've not spoken about? Are they going to kind of make a a run for the, the top. I don't know if they're going to make a run for the top, but comparatively to where they were on that tier list and what they got in that update, I think Ogres did very well. Yeah. So I think yeah. they're a big winner. Like, we've kind of talked about armies like Empire and Sylvans and UD and stuff that were, did very well in the price update, but because they were already starting from like a lower position, like comparatively to other books, I don't know like how much that's actually going to change their their tier ranking. But an army like Ogres, I think, don't know potentially. I think they're more likely to shift up higher than like Empire might. Mm. I mean, they've always been there or thereabouts, right? So yeah, I mean, like Cass, you you seem to think that the UD changes might be bigger. Yeah, so. Big, right? I think my opinion is more like I I don't think UD is gonna jump jump to like the top three or something, but I I my opinion is more like there's gonna be a fair amount of churn in the center of this tier list. Uh-huh. Is is my feeling is like for example UD was what was it like number uh, ten or something? Uh yeah UD was ten. Yeah, and I I believe that UD could definitely jump to like some somewhere around like uh you know eight to five or something next year based on these changes like. Uh, you okay. Know, we, we might see them win, you know, some tournaments, but they. I mean, I just, I don't think the top like demons and warriors and infernal dwarves are probably gonna stay like there or close to where they are currently. But I do think there's gonna be quite a lot of churn of what is like what is the guys that are like right below the best army books. So they might be up there with ogres, basically, like at yeah. that kind of level, like they're just creeping into that top end. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my feeling at least. Uh, then we'll see <laughs> what happens in reality. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like you're right. I think a lot. I mean, on the face of things, I think we can. I think it, it will in general make everything a bit more balanced, just mm-hmm. because by nature of bringing the bottom tiers up and the top tiers yeah. down or not down that much. Um, I think obviously high elves will probably go down a bit just based on the other stuff getting better around them. I think the beast herds probably. I think they got quite a good amount of healthy points decreases. Same with silver yeah. elves. I think the beast herds will probably jump a lot more than the silver elves will. Yeah. Um. I think we, we mentioned VC. I mean, just they're not a bad army, and yeah. when you look at the singles data, they do quite well. So I think they could jump up a bit. As Casimir said, UD can go up a bit. I think dwarves can go up a bit. So I, I think in general, it's probably going to flatten the curve a bit. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, it's also one of those things where, like, you you can definitely be outside of the top tier and still win tournaments, right? Like, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, so, I still I still think the top three are going to be the top three, and I think you can put KOE maybe up there as well. Yeah, I mean that's worth noting that we've not really spoken about KOE because they were not really a part of this because their book just came out. But the the early indications <laughs> across the board are that KOE are doing pretty well. Yeah, but then you never know. Like then the design changes might like flip that all the way. Yeah, the exactly. Direction. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably best just not to think about them just now. But, um, I mean, Beastars is one that we've not spoken about, and they received quite drastic um, buffs yeah. in some regions. I think you can expect them in the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because, again, they're such a smashy army that, like, if you... Like, you can definitely do, like, at least decently uh, in most tournaments, I think, if you really push it. Yeah, I don't really... This might just be a personal thing, but, like, Beastars have always done well in the UK, and I don't really understand why they've been placed so... Low on the um on the tier list because I think they you know they're very fast aggressive so they play well into what's good just now they compete amazingly well for objectives but they're obviously not in terms of the, the broader data they're not doing well enough yeah I don't get it also like I think that's also for me it's been a bias of playing UD for such a long time and Beasters is just a it's not a good matchup in, yeah. in general right okay then so any other kind of final thoughts or or comments on and anything we've discussed. Yeah, I think in general you can just say that the that they definitely achieve what they set out to achieve based on the tier list that they gave. I think that's definitely fair. You can definitely see that kind of stratification in the armies. That the lower tier definitely received more buffs than um than the, you know the top core. But I'm I'm personally I'm not convinced that it's going to do anything really. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your definition of anything, right? Like, if you only think about the very top, then maybe not. But I, I also think that the the center of this tier list matters a lot for, like, uh, seeing people competing for, for podiums and tournaments and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think in terms of flattening the curve that, you, that um, you said, Henry, I think that would be good to see. And I think there's more likelihood of that that maybe the, the packs just get a little bit tighter. Um, but because basically everything below that top five got pretty good buffs I think you're basically just moving them all up like so it's not actually making a difference to how they're going to compete across the field if that makes sense yeah I see what you mean but still I don't know like still in Delta to 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 like the the people at the very top like uh, I, I think it matters a, a lot if you if you can do a little bit better in some of your worse like more worse matchup if, during a five game tournament for example uh that could definitely, like, you know, it, it's, it, you don't, it, there's not a lot of points difference between coming third and coming, like, the eighth or seventh or whatever. No, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, like, I've spoken a lot to Fraz about this, but see if you play one of those top three armies, it's almost like you're just playing with one extra unit. Yeah. And I think, you know, a big part of that was costing for a long time. So the fact that that's been somewhat addressed, I still don't think it's maybe been addressed enough, but that, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, what you said about the, the the top players and the like, the mid or like just mid to top players level players is is I think there's a big difference. I think what it's going to actually do is I don't think it will change much at the top because the top players are still going to be good if they're playing a good army or not. But I think it will make a difference like lower down the table in the tournament, having like another 150 points in your army if you're playing 
if you're like a, a casual player, like having another 150 points is probably going to change your tournament results quite dramatically. Yeah. Well, in that case, uh, we'll draw it to a close in just under the three-hour mark of a mammoth. Massive thank you to the Amatine boys, Henry and Cass, for coming on. Um, we, I feel like we covered a lot of ground there, actually, uh, and talk about those changes. Always happy um, to talk about different types of blowjobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many quotes that have come out of this episode that I'm sure that we'll get banned yeah. from the form in some way, shape, or form over the next few days. Yeah, please soundbite us. That's what <laughs> My soundboard increases on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, no, massive thank you to you guys for coming on and, and giving up your evening to chat about this. And uh, if you have been living under a rock, obviously, um, you will... Uh, sorry, if, you, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know about Henry and Kaz, they are obviously on Time podcast, and you can go check that out. And everywhere the map gets available. And uh, you should be listening to both of us. Because obviously we talk a lot of sense, you know, a lot of blowjobs and things like that. You know, it's, it's good stuff, good content. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, um, Henry is uh, Henry P. Miller on the forum. Kaz is Akuna. Uh, Kaz moved to Sweden now. I changed my name. Oh, Kaz moved to Hashtag uh, branding. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> smart guys, smart guys. Um, Paul is That's an opportune time after the blowjob comment on this. No one's going to be able to find you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag old reliable. Um, <laughs> I am Lost Cause in the forum. You can get us um, on Twitter at Scottish Mindage. Uh, Paul's that's basicalbum one. I am MGR Lost Cause. Or if you want to be a luddite, you can send us an email at uh, scottishwildbuns at gmail dot com. Yeah, got it. That's why I'm a pro. But uh, yeah, thank you all for listening, um, and we will catch you all on the next one. Thanks for coming on, guys. Catch you later. You're welcome. Cheers, guys. Yeah.